Opinions expressed by callers, guests, and hosts do not necessarily reflect those of the Black Talk Radio Network and Black Talk Media Project. Black Talk Radio is new black media for the new millennium. Let your wise rise up, see the signs of the times, if it's time, rise up, rise up. When death and hell dwell among all God's people, when those we chose and trusted have become completely corrupted and inherently evil, when the feast that feeds you starves our father's children, when snuff porn and pedo forms begin to get top billing, rise up. When famine claims millions, when justice gives blind eyes to billions, when the Lord's anger is no longer feared, if his protection is gone and your enemies are near If you've seen the seas spill over And the mountains shake, break and fall If the moon ever turns blood red And you can't see the sun at all Rise up, no matter if the prize is high in the welcome to New Abolitionist Radio On the Black Talk Radio Network A program that seeks to educate, inform and agitate On the issue of 21st century legalized slavery Currently hosted by social activist and spoken word poet Max Parthas with Black Talk Media Project founder Scotty Reed. On this program, we discuss recent news on legalized 21st century slavery and human trafficking, along with projects and people who help combat it. Today is the August 23rd, 2017 broadcast of New Abolitionist Radio, the Millions for Prisoners March on Washington, August 19th is done. The largest national gathering of slavery abolitionists in U.S. history happened. The witnesses have spoken, and America is broken. On this day, in 1861, James Stone was the first black man signed on to fight in the Civil War. James Stone, a light-skinned fugitive slave passing for white, enlisted in the first fight artillery of Ohio. His racial identity would not be known until his death nearly a year later. As we did right before the march and rally, we're opening the lines for the whole show and inviting organizers and supporters nationwide to join the conversation. Call in and share your experiences. Today we begin a new segment hosted by Yusuf Hassan, where we will read, examine, and discuss the U.S. constitutional rights of all citizens and how they tie into slavery, both past and present. Our abolitionists in profile and the segment for freedom's sake, a history of rebellion will be combined into one segment. We will be remembering Matt Turner's rebellion, which was divinely inspired by the solar eclipse occurring on August 21st, 1831. Our rider of the 21st Century Underground Railroad is 61-year-old Ladora Watkins. Watkins was released on June 15, 2017 after serving 42 years for a robbery and murder he did not commit and is the longest-serving inmate to be exonerated in Michigan. Have a question or a comment? Were you at the rally or one of the marches? You can call us toll-free USA at 1-866-510-9025. If you're already on the line after we finish our introductions and such, just press star star to unmute yourself. 
You can chat with us and others by logging in at uberconference.com slash Network. Once again, I'm Max Parthas. What's happening, Brother Scotty? I'm always uh, late, ain't I, Max? Hopefully. Scotty Reed? Yeah, I'm yeah. here. Can you hear me now? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, yes, sir. We can hear you now. Yeah, I was just uh, posting the show to uh, some of my social media networks that I'm involved in. But yes, as you stated at the beginning of the program, August the 19th has come and gone. And what was said was going to be done did happen. All right. We wasn't. It, it was one of those cases of we need to do this as opposed to we, we can now say we did do this. And like you mentioned, it is historic in the amount of people, I mean, nationwide. Now, Max, help me if I'm wrong in any historians out there that have studied the abolitionist movement pre-1865, did they ever have like a gathering of abolitionists and then we know they had gatherings of abolitionists. They had conferences and and everything that went down in Washington, D.C., but did they do it all over the country on the same day, all in solidarity with one another? I think that might have been a first, Max, as well as just the number of participants. But I can, to be honest, I don't know how many abolitionists existed during any year in pre-1865. I just know the ones that's been written about. But I guess every victim of slavery would be an abolitionist, so I guess it's a mute point. Well, Scotty, we have been reporting here on abolitionists of the past now for five full years, and I've never read anything about anything like this happening in history. So yeah, I think that uh, we did cover the bases. It was a unique, incredible event. I would uh, call it epic, monumental, Historic, all of those things applied. Uh, you had to have been there to witness it. I know we were in Washington, so we saw Washington there. We did everything from the march at Freedom Plaza. I participated in Travel Rain. Participated in uh, other other comrades who came out from across the country with us. Participated in, and then we also participated in uh, the presentation overall. It was amazing. And some of the people that came out there uh, really needed to have their testimonies told. All the people had needed their testimonies told. But, you know, it was just some amazing voices. Like the last surviving member of the Move 9, Ramona Africa, was there and spoke. And also the two remaining survivors of the Angola 3 were there. And uh, Brother Robert King spoke. Uh, he actually he inspired the hell out of me he was the final keynote speaker just right behind myself and he inspired me by his own statements about uh, changing his language and the importance of changing our language so yeah it was epic and I'm hoping some of the people across the country who have participated in sister marches will be calling in today we know that in Alabama there was one in San Jose there was another one in Asheville there was another one there was I believe in Long Island and also Washington State 16 different cities I don't know if someone has put out a complete list if someone has access to a list and would like to give us a call at 866-510-9025 hit star star at any moment it's open lines as Max stated hit star star to share the information 
Um, but I read from some of the alternative, I'm not going to call it alternative, from the real news, let's call it the real news, as opposed to the fake news and the corporate control news. But I've read in several um, reports from news outlets that were 16 cities uh, in total that had an abolitionist event, whether it included a march or if it was just a rally itself. Uh, looks like we have Sister Tribal Rain um, calling in. Um, yes, sis, if you have some information, definitely we would want to hear from you. You was part of the Carolina contingent that the Black Talk Media Project and listeners of New Abolitionist Radio uh, helped fund our contingent and did so quite quickly um, within two to three days we were fully funded and I just can't tell y'all just how smooth everything went there were, were small glitches but that was mostly with the technology uh, some funny things that happened like almost not waking up in time to go to the rally because uh, uh, you know I speak for myself because I was up to like five o'clock that morning, that's when you could see I posted the uh, page where we were going to be broadcasting off of Black Talk Radio, and I had been enjoying some libations, and I crashed hard, and so it was funny uh, because all of us thought, I guess, well, Scotty gonna set the alarm, or Max gonna set the alarm, or hey, all of us in this house, somebody's gonna set alarm, so. That was well, just, we were the only ones that had to get up at 6 in the morning to be able to get down there to uh, get the equipment in place with Secret Service to check it out with the dogs and such. So it was just like three of us. Everybody else was going to sleep a little yeah, later. Yeah, 7 o'clock. 7 o'clock. Yeah. Uh, was but, uh, so it was that, that was funny. But it's still everything went smoothly, man. Uh, the lady who helped us, the park ranger, I, I'm sorry I don't remem remember your name, um, of Asian American park ranger and because Secret Service the communications that I heard about second hand that we were getting from the Secret Service they were going to force us to put the generators up on a stage that was metal stage you know what I'm saying danger danger when you're dealing with electricity and all these electronics and, and things that run off electricity no it has to be on the ground and then it has to be grounded you know with copper wire and all so you know when i got there i was i was expecting trouble man but she was especially she um like was told to me she had said no i heard her say it that secret service likes to think they run Lafayette Square, but they don't, the park service. And she was very accommodating, man. So it, it was pretty much a, a smooth sailing after that. Yeah, it definitely was, man. I, I'm sharing some of the uh, articles and videos and stuff like that on New Abolitionist Radio so people can see what occurred in photos and in videos uh, as much as I can. But it was truly epic, and uh, it was very much needed. I know on a couple of occasions people kind of downplayed the idea that we had a rally in a march, but uh, I think it also came from a place of not really understanding how this march and this rally plays in history. You know, there's never been anything like this ever before. There's been a million marches, but there's never been a slavery abolitionist march like this since prior to the Emancipation Proclamation. Because up until now, everybody had been bamboozled. I don't so think they were marching back then. 
Were they marching? I think they was pretty much just rallying back then. Rallying, yes. <laughs> I don't think they was marching yeah. like today, you know, because they didn't have as comfortable shoes as we got to. Uh, <laughs> I see uh, Tribal Rain is unmuted there. Yeah, Tribal, hey, Tribal Rain. Something? Please chime in. Yes. Yes. I just wanted to say that the march on Washington was a historical, magical event, something that I personally will remember for the rest of my life. And the young people that were there marching with us that showed out will remember it for the rest of their lives. It was something that was very much needed. I do wish there was more people that had showed up but it was an excellent, excellent outcome. Yes, and when she says she wished there was more people that showed up, don't underestimate the numbers because it was, I mean, we went... No, there for, was a the number there. Yeah, the numbers were there. Uh, there was no doubt about that. But we were hoping for millions because if millions had came, we'd be changing the world today. <laughs> like, it'd be a different world today <laughs> than it was yesterday, so to speak, you know? Yes. But we had enough to really get this ball rolling and to impress upon the whole world that this is what we're dealing with now is modern day slavery and human trafficking and all these narratives that take away from that are only confusing people. Definitely. Tribal, you are magnificent. You know, for those that don't know, Tribal Rain is my wife. Her and I have been together in art and music and life for 30 years now. So uh, she was there as one of the spokespeople as well. And she, instead of, you know, I'm the speaker, she's the poet more or less. So she got up there and did a couple of amazing poets. For the first time ever, she did a poem, I think, was written specifically for that event called America is Broken. And also uh, Mourning Mothers to impress upon those out there what is happening to uh, our children. They were being slaughtered in the streets behind these slave catchers. Did an excellent job. You almost had an asthma attack, but it, you, you soldiered through that and did it still. That was awesome. Yes, I did. Yes, I did. The message had to be put out there. And there were people who were willing to listen. I'm hoping it touched people who weren't there also. It's time that our eyes become open to what is going on in our world today. But you know, Not tribal... With, yeah, yeah, tribal... Um, let's not forget the 16 sister cities that was in solidarity. Yes, and, yes. And I've heard you. as many as 20, Scotty, in a couple of reports. So it's possible that we had 20 yeah, cities. That is so beautiful. Yes. So beautiful. And, um, you know, we had... Uh, on, all I could pull up was uh, stats for the 19th. I couldn't break it down by hours. I think I may be able to break it down by hour, but I can report conservatively that at least six 600 people in 38 different countries tune in between the hours of 12 and 5 p.m. when we were uh, yeah. doing our best to stream it live. It wasn't the greatest audio experience first time we tried to do that lots of things was going wrong uh but our primary my prime i should say my primary focus was to make sure the pa system and everything was going uh you know everything was working like it was supposed to be um because remember yeah. one time we lost the pa system i don't know if somebody unplugged it or if they said something on the stage that yanked it out i i don't know but it was you know, I even found that people was trying to sabotage it. But I'm like, now who would just pull some copper wire 
out of a copper hose that's in the ground that's grounding this generator so nobody gets electrocuted so there's no chance for that kind of accident without stealing the copper now if they'd have stole the copper mm. then I would have understood but they just pull out the you know the wire from the copper pipe the little skinny pop copper pipe and I'm I, and so that's the kind of stuff I was dealing with so I had a lot going on but um again a lot I'm glad the crowd and none of the speakers noticed all of this stuff that was going on behind the scenes yeah yes yes and it it went peacefully and smoothly I understand that in at least one city our men showed up, part of what was, I believe is called the three percenters or something like that, showed up with automatic weapons and full military gear and things like that. Um, so that happened, I believe, out in Kansas City. And there was also uh, an organization in Asheville that tried to sabotage some of the things that were going on there, a uh, white organization that I heard reports of. So they tried. I mean, on a national scale, white supremacists did everything they could to distract from the millions for prisoners march on Washington. If you notice all of these feints that they were pulling where they, you know, faked out Durham, for instance, and all of these people showed up, those things were happening simultaneously with the march leading up mm-hmm. to the very last days. And now if you look around, there's nothing happening. The last time I heard today, the Southern Poverty Law Center said that they had 67 events scheduled and they canceled them all. So, job well done is the way they're looking at it. They distracted from what was going on. Imagine if we'd have had those 40,000 people that was in, uh, I think it was in Durham or Boston or one of those states, as part of the march. (laughs) You know, like, again, like I said, we could have changed. The the world would be different today. But I think that the reverberations will continue to go out and will continue to push this um, just as we've done before uh, it occurred and what we'll continue to do after. This is this is a catalyst moment, I believe, in, in American yeah. history and po- poss- possibly world history. Oh, I see Britt from Asheville is here. That's great. Uh, Britt, if you're on the line, just press star star to unmute yourself. I'd love to hear the story of what happened there. Um, you know, you can tell a little bit of about what occurred well, there, both the good and the bad. Well, we do have someone from the 717 area code uh, who had unmuted themselves, so can we go to them first? Uh, sure, sure. We're going to have a conversation tonight, so let's do let's do. Yeah, you lead hey, the way, we Scotty. will leave the mics open as long as people mind their background noise. Uh, if I see background noise and it's interfering with the call, I'll just mute you and then you can unmute yourself. But uh, 717... Uh, please thank you for calling in the New Abolitionist Radio as we discuss what happened over the weekend, per- primarily the Millions for Prisoners Human Rights March, uh, focusing calling for the removal of the Slavery Exception Clause from the 13th Amendment in Congressional hearings where the core demands um, and, you know, just a great day in spreading abolitionism. So 717, if you would share uh, your name. Go ahead with your question or comment. Hey, Brother Scott. It's Brother Davis, man. How are you, everybody? Peace, hey, look, I just wanted to, call, I wanted to call and let you know you guys did an exceptional job on Saturday as well as being able to get the audio. I know you had some problems because there was forces working against you, but, brothers, for doing a first, you cannot find nothing less than success in what you've achieved. And let me, in leaving, let me add this, that uh, Harriet Tubman once said, 
I would have freed more slaves if they would have known they were slaves. Excellent job, brothers. Once again, thanks, Black Talk Radio. <laughs> Peace. Well, indeed, brother. And, you know, when I sat up there as one of the speakers, uh, most of the time that I sat there, I held a, held a sign in my hand that said exactly that, because that's the problem. <laughs> you know, I, I understand how Harriet felt at that time, and that is the, the problem. Big shout-out to the organizers of this from imweubuntu.com, the uh, the Crystal Roundtree and the organization I Am We, uh, Prison Advocacy Network, for taking the reins and making this happen as it as it did, and to uh, pulling together over 100 grassroots organizations and some, as we said, amazing speakers to come together past all boundaries to speak on the subject of modern slavery in the 13th Amendment. Yeah, and that, that was great, too. And, you know, there's some enemy propaganda out there um, who didn't even know what kind of rally he was at and just labeled it a Black Lives Matter rally. But it were they were allies, and these were, like, like you mentioned, uh, you know, dozens, dozens upon dozens of of supporting organizations, including Black Talk Media Project, which of course is is you know manager of Black Talk Radio Network, Jailhouse Lawyers Speak. I mean, uh, uh, I mean, I could pull up the list. It, like Max said, there's a hundred or so of them. So yeah, uh, that that in itself was was great because we don't see eye to eye, or we don't have. When I say we, I'm talking about myself, Max, everybody that's been part of the New Abolitionist Radio family and uh, part of the group that uh, we started five years ago on Facebook called Move to Abolish 21st Century uh, Slavery. Our primary focus has always been the 13th Amendment, and we don't too much get into any kind of intersectionality because we see slavery as the disease and all the slave catching and related type of activities that manifest in society as being symptoms or tentacles of slavery. So we have always focused on the 13th Amendment, um, you know, uh, which in 1971, Mr. Lee Wood wrote the book Prison Slavery, where he published and cited the 13th Amendment in that context. So this, this, this ab- abolitionism is hundreds of years old and it was just great to see how organizations who have because some organizations have several agendas nothing wrong with that you know you you have have several things that you're working on at several times but we all agree that slavery has never been abolished the 13th amendment makes that perfectly clear and we were there in solidarity to end slavery. That's simple. Let's go to our call. Uh, looks like we have a call from 973 Area Code. Thank you for calling in the New Abolitionist Radio. Give us your name and uh, go ahead with your question or comment. 973. Hey, this is Yusuf Hassan. I actually was... Uh... <laughs> I'm actually online right now just trying to tag different people, trying to get them to call in from the different cities, you know, San Diego, San Jose, Kansas City, we had Omaha, Nebraska, I see Oakland, California, Riverside, California, Columbus, Ohio, Council Bluffs, Iowa. You know, we were we were all over the place. So all over. I'm really listening in the background, but uh <laughs> I mean it was an it was a, it was an amazing event. 
you know, I'm I'm thankful to have been a part of it, you know, uh, because, you know, I mean, we, we know how much we talk about this, but it's good to see so many people from all over the country, just starting from Friday night when we had the meet and greet dinner, you know, I mean, I hope there's footage of that somewhere, of that entire, that entire event. Dude, you know, you know we had that. We had, Yusuf, you know we had to meet and greet one block from Frederick Douglass's house. Wow, I didn't even know that, man. I didn't even know that. Yeah, wow. I walked up to see it. One block away. Oh, wow. Oh, okay, that's where you disappeared. Because <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> <laughs> we kept saying, where's Max? Hey, but, and brother, you know, yourself, see- brother yourself, I also want to thank you, man, publicly for the wonderful digs that you were able to obtain for us to actually have, you know, some of that behind the scenes stuff that people didn't see was an intimate experience between abolitionists who had only communicated via social media or this radio program, but be able to break bread with each other and, and just have these powwow sessions uh, uh, around you know, 21st century slavery and human trafficking. And, you know, that was just really a great experience itself right there. Just being... That, in- was, that, was, worth, that was the work. That was worth the trip by itself, man. Yes, it you was. Know, yes, just, it was. And you... Just from about downtime at the, at the house and, you know, you know, getting back to the dinner, you know, seeing that we have people come as far as uh, uh, Anchorage, Alaska. Alaska yeah. That come all the way to the to to Washington D.C. That says a lot, man. Dude, when that they called out the states, they're like, "Where did everybody come from?" And you heard like thirty states named off at the meet and greet alone. That was epic, right there. Absolutely, absolutely. You know, they just show that this isn't just you know a couple of people you know talking about something. This is a nationwide movement, and it's only going to yeah. build. It's going to build from there because. You know, people are waking up to it. I mean, I've been having all kinds of conversations. And one of the funny things that I'm seeing now is it's almost like now after the rally has happened, now people are starting to wake up and start commenting on different posts and everything. I'm like, wow, where were these people a week ago? You know, but, yeah, you know, you know we, we broke the ice. Y'all know I've been saying that all weekend. You know, the seal has been broken, you know, that, you know, we gathered, you know, the largest gathering of Abolition. It's right out in the open. We didn't have to have a secret meeting somewhere. You know, we did it right out in the opening, right in the middle of the park. You know, I'm sure they were watching us from the White House, <laughs> you know, because I'm sure they got word of it. You know, I mean, they shut streets down in Washington, D.C. for us. You know, that says a lot. That for us, they shut roads down in Washington, D.C. You know, so... You know, it's monumental what we did, you know, and so anybody that, uh, I guess, has like a negative opinion as to anything that went on, you know, they, you know, you have to look at all of the bright things that happened, you know, and I definitely have to give, you know, special shout out to you, Scotty, and definitely Greg Jacoy, because, you know, I called you guys the unsung heroes all weekend, man, because there's so much stuff going on behind the scenes that, you know, so much could have gone wrong, and I mean, you guys, all all, all of the downtime stuff that we got to do, going to the meet and greet, going to the 
Ethiopian restaurant. You know, you guys didn't get to do any of that stuff, didn't really get to hang out with us because you guys were making sure that the wheels kept turning. So yeah, without Greg Decor, yeah. man. Yeah, y'all Rick. definitely need, you know, the accolades for that. Definitely. I don't know I'm here. <laughs> What's up, Greg? Welcome to New Adelaide. Y'all ain't got to talk about me like I can't hear you. Greg is, is a member of the Green Party and has been uh, uh, active in organizing and political activities. As a matter of fact, he was working directly with David Colma, who ran for Congress in District 5 of South Carolina as an abolitionist. So the buildup has been a part of uh, Greg's life now for a few years, uh, working towards this goal. You must have been real proud too, brother. Oh, man. Listen, I, first of all, Thank you, um, Yusuf, I believe it was, who, uh, who talked about the, um, although it may have been uh, someone else, uh, about how the things began on Friday. So when, I mean, I was thinking about the numbers who, was, who were there and, uh, and what all went on, and it was, you know, uh, five hours long, and it was in the sun, and it was hot, and, and so on, and then I was like, wait a second, okay, so... Let's look at what has happened in the past that we all look to and say, now that was a turning moment in American history. How about the Seneca Falls Convention? Okay, two days, two day long convention. 300 people attended. There were many, 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 many times 300 people in Washington, D.C. for this gathering. We not only had a convention that started Friday with that meet and greet, and, and I don't want people to think that was a simple meet and greet like everybody shook hands and said, hi, where are you from? How was the travel? How did you, you know, was, it, was, was traffic heavy? You know, it was like a real conversation about what are we going to do to end slavery now? And, um, and then a march and then a rally and I guarantee you that everybody who was headed home from that march and rally uh, headed home thinking about what am I going to do next? And, and I just want to share one little thing with y'all, and, and then I'm going to try to hush up, and y'all know I'm not very good at that. Um, uh, so the day after, Monday, was the, uh, the solar eclipse, right? So mm -hmm. I drive over to my daughter and son-in-law's home, and I'm going to watch the solar eclipse with my granddaughters. And I said something to my daughter, my older daughter, about what we had been doing up in Washington. And I'm expecting to have to explain to my daughter, because we haven't really talked much about this issue, I'm expecting to have to explain to my daughter, you know, what what we're talking about when we talk, when I'm talk, when we talk about slavery, that we're not, as, as we say repeatedly, we're not talking about virtual slavery, we're not talking about almost slavery, we're talking about slavery. And I didn't have to explain a thing to her. She knew it, boom, right away. She, I mean, she was like, oh, it's terrible, this and this and this and this, boom, done. So even without me going out of my way to educate my daughter, and I don't even think that it happened because she's my daughter. I think this is in the I think this is in the universe. I think that the the planet, the psyche of humanity is so done with slavery and we've just we just got to push it that over the line and say now and forevermore. 
this cannot be. Human, human beings cannot have human property. Not acceptable. Not acceptable. Amen, man. If you're call- on the line and you want to speak up, just press star, star. If you already open up, just say what you got to say. Uh, like Scotty said, we'll try to keep it uh, where we're not talking over each other. Well, I know I, for one, wish to thank all the donors who made it possible to get this trip on the road. There were a few out there who went out of their way, like um, Kali. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Everybody who went out of their way with Black Talk Radio Network donors, anyone at all who assisted us I just want to say thank you because without you it would not have occurred Amen to that thank you so much anyone else on the line want to join in and share their experiences we're still waiting to hear from Britt from Asheville he has a story that unfolded out of there I'm I'm hoping Layla and Layla yes Oh, uh, we do. San Diego's tuning in right now. Maybe San Diego has something to say too. Yes, um, I do want to uh, also reiterate what Tribal Rain uh, said, and you know, I want to thank um, Ramon, L.A. Ramon, part of the BTR community, yeah. longtime listener of Black Talk Radio Network. I mean, from designing the sound system, and I got compliments from people who said that you could hear that rap if you were in that area. You heard that. So people who weren't even there for the rally never heard nothing about abolitionists. If they were passing it, they came to visit the White House and they walked down that way, they heard an abolitionist message. So let's not forget forget that. So um, L.A. Ramon played a big role in helping me pre-plan the audio system layout and all of that. And then Zach at Guitar Center, gave me a hassle-free, you know, I'm coming from out of state with out-of-state license, all of that, hassle-free uh, experience, got the equipment in, in less than an hour, um, you know, loaded up, got to, got you know, moved the equipment, that's what me and Greg was doing while everybody was at the meet and greet, so, you know, just a hassle-free experience, and again, as Tribal said, though, you know, it was Black Talk Radio donors um, uh, who paid for, who sponsored the audio portion, which should have failed to us, you know. We're Black Talk Radio. So, right. so I just want to thank the donors as well. It, it wouldn't have went down without you. Played a big role. Uh, we got a call from 828. Please watch your background noise if you're on the line. Um, please watch your background noise. We had, I did see unmute um, the, on the board eight two eight. Thank you for calling in to New Abolitionist Radio. Please share your name and your question or comment. Hello, this is eight two eight. This is Britt. Hey, Britt. Um, Welcome to New Abolitionist Radio, and thank you guys for pulling together what you did in Asheville. I, I heard that you were very successful. Worked directly with the chief of police who. Uh, made sure that everything ran well. Awesome, man. I appreciate it. Yeah, it was um, it was definitely a pretty straightforward event for us. Um, I definitely, in the beginning, wanted to stick with uh, kind of the format that I was just seeing 
as far as a march and a rally. Um, but once I was able to connect with uh, Sharon Smith and Asheville Black Lives Matter, uh, they had the, you know, <laughs> basically, you know, the Asheville isn't big enough to kind of support that. So we just worked with it and, and made it happen. So um, uh, as far as, um, uh, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> it was it was really – uh, I'm definitely looking forward to continuing events like this here and um, just supporting the issue. Now, did you have any any uh, issues or anything that went wrong while you were there? Because I know in Washington we had at least one person that tried to sabotage the event, and then some uh, supposedly allies went and took that and said it was about a Black Lives Matter rally that went wrong. So where they interviewed this no, one guy that wasn't that wasn't no ally, Max. That wasn't an ally. That was some YouTuber, probably from the right wing, called himself Liberty Columnist. That was him. That wasn't a so-called ally. Okay, that so was he's a, not an ally. He, no, he a, trolled the event. You know, he okay. trolled the event. All right, all right. But well, look, uh, we got a troll that came in, and we, and we handled it without anybody going to jail. Yeah, yeah. Go ahead, Britt. It sounds like you're kind of speechless that you had such a great abolitionist experience there in Asheville. Well, um, I was really blindsided by... Um, just some folks in, in my personal network, so it was really uh, it was really unfortunate that it happened just kind of the night before, you know, while I was at work. Um, so, um, it, and unfortunately, I had left the chat that I was in, <laughs> and that I that I had started to kind of get some uh, just a group of lookouts for the event. That was basically the main kind of thing. For me, I, that I, I just had, had I had an experience where, uh, quite recently, where I just felt like that was kind of a priority. So, um, yeah, and it's just unfortunately leaving that chat, you know, led to a whole lot of lot of uh, just miscommunication and and escalation. Uh, I wasn't. I'm not even privy to it now. So okay, uh, it went off without today, a hit. That's all that matters, right? <laughs> It That's right. hit off on it on the internet and and it just it, so what you know the event went great. It's just unfortunate that someone from my my who I thought was on my side ended up attacking one of our main speakers um, over kind of political differences. So I don't know if it was much of sabotage or not or you know, but it was definitely it definitely kind of uh, destabilized me in terms of trying to hold a plan together to follow through but I'm like I said committed to just pushing it so thank you Britt I appreciate that man uh, for sharing your experiences we already know that for this topic there's a lot of us who have been in the trenches for a long time who have never really considered the idea that this might actually be slavery and we've been fighting in different ways and you know coming across that border of from you can reform it to it's slavery and you have to abolition have to use abolition is sometimes difficult and it can create, uh, you know, arguments over the issue. Well, I'm 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 grateful to just be able to learn. I I, I definitely have learned a lot. This is the first kind of thing I've pulled together, and I'm I, I uh, have a, I have a lot to look forward to as far as trying to do more of this. So, <laughs> thank you awesome. so much, guys. 
Word. Thank you, Britt. Do we have any other callers that'd like to comment on your experience at the various marches across the uh, across America today that happened on the 19th? Or anybody from the D.C. area, California area? I see, we have a few online. Just press star, star hey, to unmute yourself. Hello? Hey, Max. I think I'm online. Hello? Yes, we can hear you. Who is this? Oh, it's J-9. Hey, J-9. <laughs> from Rhode Island. J-9. Hey, J-9. J-9. Yes, yes, hey, indeed. I couldn't Welcome. figure out if I had, like, unmuted myself properly, and then I forgot to mute myself, and I heard Scotty yelling at me for the cooking dinner. I was like, oh, that's right. Mute it. I got very confused. For those that don't know, J-9 is a uh, longtime abolitionist, uh, also one of the spokespeople for the Wounded Warriors Project. She's a veteran herself um, of the United States military and has been uh, side-by-side with us in this fight for years now. Yes. She came in from Rhode Island, representing Rhode Island, and Rhode Island is the only state in the Union that actually abolished slavery in their constitution without a caveat. And uh, she shared the experience with us. Tell us anything um, you want to. uh, For the listeners, though, that have seen the video of us in the Lincoln Memorial, um, there's there's J-9, there's Jess. Okay, so she's I'm in that the video. I'm the person who jumped in with tribal and said the revolution will make some white people nervous. Because that's kind of an inside story. So the minute I heard that this event was going on, I knew I was going to um, not have my kids with me to go to the dogs this summer. Um, and I just knew I was going to be there. Um, and that was kind of the last trip that I took on my kind of like summer without uh, my kids because I couldn't be anywhere else um, because it's so, so important. And what I felt as I witnessed so many different things, I'm still trying to unpack a lot of the things that I that I witnessed, but I definitely saw a lot of different people with a lot of different ideologies and kind of political leanings. And for the most part, most people were definitely gelling around, it's actually common sense that slavery still exists. And it's not this kind of external, you know, thing that is so kind of out there that you have to really explain. Um, And that was really powerful to see and also powerful to be there to listen to um, former political prisoners and formerly incarcerated people basically kind of give their testimony, whether it had been 40 years ago or 10 years ago, um, that this is actually what is taking place. So you don't need to read a think piece. You don't need to read a book. You don't, well, you should, but you don't need to do all this extra stuff in order to understand how it operates. And that, to me, was very, very powerful. And then I think the guy with the sign who held that sign all day long. Andrew. um, Yeah. Yeah. He was wonderful. Yes, and that also showed me something else. And even though the person who tried to disrupt tried to claim, oh, I'm a veteran, like that really doesn't mean anything to a lot of things. That man was a Marine uh, veteran. And, it, and and some of the groups that came in the beginning when we were like yelling and screaming and marching and all that like kind of fun stuff, I guess. Because um, to me it's fun. I'll bring more drums next time. We have like one. That's not enough. Um, he stayed there the whole day dedicated and I understand that it was hot and I understand it was uncomfortable it was it was I understand these things are real and some people cannot stay because of the heat but that man stayed there with the discipline of a marine and that kind of as as other these other groups left 
Hello? I think we might have lost you, Jay. There you go. We can hear you now. You said that the other groups left. Yeah, Jess, uh, let me see. I do see her still on the board. Let me mute you and unmute you, see if that'll clear up the line. But, yeah, the uh, propaganda media that was uh, posted on YouTube by that guy, that, that troll, who I said, man, you wasted all that wonderful equipment. He had some nice equipment, made a nice video, uh, but, you know, he trolled us. He told us he didn't interview anyone. He came there with a preconceived notion. And I told him, you're, fa- you're purposely falsely mistitling uh, your videos. And you're trying to p- say a black vet stands up to Black Lives Matter. Black Lives Matter uh, have declared themselves abolitionists against 13th Amendment slavery. They endorsed the rally. They were there. But it was an abolitionist event. Again, a hundred different organizations uh, uh, sponsored this event or endorsed the event. And then, you know, the little video he 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 uh, posted was of me, you know, stopping getting in front of this guy, you know, in case he tried to do something to the speaker and just to stop to calm him down and usher him off to the side so that we could continue on with with the rally. You know that I'm a veteran, too. You know, and if the guy had asked any asked me, um, since the guy, me and the guy primarily had the words when he came to the stage, I'd have pulled out my veterans healthcare card on him. So, you know, they try to use yeah. all kind of different tools and and talking points and, you know, the whole veteran playing the veteran card, but I didn't know Andrew was a veteran. And Andrew, after standing out there with that sign with with Martin Luther King's face on it and saying jobs and not war and and if I remember what his sign said, but he stood out there that whole five hours and then afterwards help us load equipment. So shout out to Andrew. Yep. But go ahead, Jess. I didn't mean to interrupt you. And and Tyler. No, no, that's okay. I realized that I had actually muted myself. So I was like literally talking to no one outside. That was great. Um, so I have no idea where I left off, which is you also said that part some of my groups life. left after the the march or something like that. Yeah, well, some people left, like groups left. They came with all their stuff, and it was almost not like it was like a photo op. I'm not saying it was a photo op, but they came with their stuff, and then they left. And then you have Andrew. You know, he stayed there the whole time, and there were just some people that were so dedicated, they stayed the whole time. And I think that's a really good kind of thinking about people in that heat because it was hot like I just I don't understand that heat but because I'm from the northeast so it was hot and people stayed and you know definitely like people who are older you know who probably shouldn't be in the heat were in the heat stayed the people who were there at the end that's the type of dedication it's going to take and that's the type of dedication and discipline that we all need to harness within ourselves in order to keep this moving forward that was a very shorter explanation of the whole soliloquy I just did in my backyard. <laughs> <laughs> Word. Word. I think we even got Hannah on the line, too. Hannah was one of the people that stayed at Abolitionist HQ, along with Yousef and Jessica and myself and Tut and Scotty and a number of others. And uh, she, I think she had one of the most powerful speeches of the evening. Like, she really took it home. She stomped it into the ground. She didn't pull no punches. 
She didn't mess around with no, you know, false language or wrong language, and she really hammered it home. I, I know that yeah, a couple I times she had some adult, adult would, language, but excuse me, Scotty? No, I, I was just going to say, I would definitely say that among about four speakers, now remember, it was 26 speakers if we include the audio from Mamiya. <laughs> But uh, I definitely would agree that Hannah had one of the more memorable speeches, very forceful and strong, and there was no doubt about the conviction in her voice. Uh, thank, thank you for joining us tonight, Hannah. Um, you're welcome. I don't know if you can hear me. We can hear you. There's kind of a loud noise behind you, but we can certainly hear you. I'm outside, um, but can, is that better? Yes, much better. Okay, peace everyone. Um, I appreciate all the positive feedback on my speech. Um, I just feel like we need to stop cutting around the BS. I'm not trying to use, uh, you know, adult language on your show. <laughs> I just feel like that in general, um, for some, the message wasn't clear and it should have been more clear before they spoke. Um, because when you go to a march or you speak speak at a march or a rally, you want to have one general message, one general consensus about the point of the march. And we've marched and rallied for Black Lives Matter, police brutality, etc. But we are not doing that the same when it comes to slavery, and that's the root of it all. So if we want to get to the nitty-gritty of everything, we have to speak and be literal in our speech and say that it's slavery, and I'm not sure as to why people are so scared to call it slavery. Um, I think it's more of a new concept, actually, for a lot of people to, like, just wrap their heads around it. But I've spoken to people since I came back from the mat- from the march that never knew, like, about the 13th Amendment, and in those few moments of speaking to them and breaking it down, they get it, the 13th Amendment Clause, rather. Um, I enjoyed the march. It's a. It was a historical event, and I feel like that um, we shouldn't be so quick. And I'm not saying you are, but just in general, I feel like we shouldn't be so quick to critique it um, overall because the meat of it was good, and those who are already aware about abolitionism and about the truth of the Thirteenth Amendment clause, they benefited. They're going to benefit. But the sad part is that because the message wasn't clear in some speakers, in some of the speeches, and that could be due to lack of ignorance or due to lack of, due to ignorance or arrogance. Um, It could be either or. But because the speech wasn't clear, um, the message rather, it could have left some people, you know, confused. It's like, what is this mass incarceration? I hear some people saying slavery. What is this person talking about? Um, so I, I just expected a little bit more, but at the same time, I'm not going to critique it because this is the first of its kind. This is a historic march, and it doesn't take but a few people to make change. And we've seen that so many times in history, um, where it only takes a few abolitionists or a few civil rights leaders to make actual change. Um, it doesn't take a bunch of people. So uh, I don't know how to explain this. Yeah. I hope you understand what I'm saying. But even with the Black Panther Party, it was only a few of them. That's nationwide, not just in one city. A few of them nationwide, but they made so much changes in the black community, and that's when they became a target and a threat, and, of course, the government had to get rid of them. 
um, but their 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 powerful effect is still felt fifty plus years later. Um, and you have a lot of organizations like pe- like People's Justice Project. We try to follow as much as we can. We try to emulate the method of the Black Panther Party, which is servicing the community. Um, because we know that the government's not going to service the community like or, or service us like we can service our own. Um, and then protecting the community, advocating for the community, organizing around the community's needs, um, bringing awareness to the community, the ills of the community that's brought on by state violence. So I just feel like the message was a little bit lost, but with the powerful speakers, especially at the end when Max shut it down again, <laughs> um, <laughs> When he shut it down again, it, it made the message clear. But unfortunately, there were not that many people left. Um, I do feel like some things could have been differently. And I do honestly think that this shouldn't be just a one-time march. I really feel like that we need to be more consistent. And I understand <laughs> that we are doing, you know, behind the scenes, we are trying to work to get the clause removed. But awareness needs to still be shown on the streets. Uh, honey, so it's, I advise, yes. You're speaking, you're actually, I just had that conversation with Max today um, and that new abolitionist radio that we need to do like, not like a seven city tour, go out there on the road, but have an event like we had in Washington, D.C., but change the location. So Hannah X might host uh-huh. it in her city one year. And then the next year, Yousef might host it in his city that year. And we just keep it going for, and Max said, well, how long you think we got to keep fighting slavery? And I'm like, hey, I'm just long-term planning, bro. I'm just long-term <laughs> planning. So I am definitely with you on that. And you mentioned the Black Panthers. And while yes. Robert King was the last speaker, a member of the Angola mm-hmm. Three, a Black Panther Party member, although Mr. Wood Fox was not a speaker, he was there. And that was just so real for me because I have been reporting on these brothers' cases over the years, over the past five, six years through political prisoner radio and then just sharing you know, the new, hey, it was great to meet Jihad from Jericho. First time I ever met him uh, after talking to him, oh, doing all of this online, you know, in telephone communication. Right. And that was just so, so, so real for me to finally be able to occupy the same space and to feed off of that energy that, that these dr- strong spirits um, represented. So I do want to, and again, we got open uh, lines tonight. We're coming up on our first break, but I want to segue and then come back uh, after the break. But uh, segue, and I, uh, Jared Ball, Jared Ball of I Mix What I Like did a interview with Albert Wood Fox, who had been tortured in solitary confinement for over 40 years. Uh, um, and his shirt, I love this shirt. His shirt had a men the 13th on it. You know, he was just very clear, this is slavery. And so I want to play a portion of that interview that Jared Ball did. Um, we'll take the break first. Then we'll play the interview uh, that Jared Ball did, just a portion of the interview he did 
with uh, Albert Wood Fox, Black Panther, uh, Angola Three, former political prisoner, and then we'll open back, go back to the open floor. You're listening, uh, Max. You want to take us to the break? Yes, sir. You're listening to New Abolitionist Radio here on the Black Talk Radio Network, and we're discussing the historic Millions for Prisoners Human Rights March on Washington D.C. We'll be right back after these messages. Remember to watch your background noise, please. Black Talk Radio since 2008, providing new black media for the masses. In the world, and we can start doing something about mass prison incorporation. Uh, we can uh, uh, destroy the uh, private prison industrial complex, which uh, is exploiting uh, uh, prisoners of uh, uh, slave labor under the 13th Amendment. Uh, we're trying to uh, demand a hearing before a U.S. Congress so that we can address this and, uh, and make the people in America and the world uh, realize that slavery in America is still here and it, it's legal. And the 13th Amendment only changes slave ownership from the individual to the, to the states and the federal government. And you have a situation now where the, these uh, amazing corporations that start to sign these sweetheart deals with the uh, Department of Corrections throughout America, and they are exploiting slave labor. And the ironic thing about it is that while they will exploit the labor while you're in prison, if you're lucky enough to get out, they won't give you a job because you're an ex-convict, you know? How ironic, how, how hypocritical, you know? And at some that point, you could only work if you're in prison. Yeah, and, and as, a, as a legal slave of the state, you know? So, you know, uh, at some point in time, uh, uh, Robert and I are working towards accumulating a list of some of these corporations and uh, making it available to the American public and, and call for a bar, boycott or whatever products uh, that these people are, are selling to the American public and around the world uh, because of the fact that uh, a lot of it is being produced by slave labor uh, in, in the prisons throughout this country. So that's, that's a part of what we're struggling uh, to do right now. Max. Yes. 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 Well, I, I was tossing it to you, bro. But I do. I, I do want if Greg is still on the line, if he would share with me because he actually isn't the only person that shared this with me. One other person that was in attendance. I don't know their name. They were in the crowd and spoke to me, and said it was just it was worth that trip 
just to see Robert King and Albert Wood Fox. And, and Greg expressed something similar to me. Greg, did you want to comment oh, yeah, on what that was like for you? Absolutely. Are, are we ready now? Are we on the air? Yes. Oh, I'm sorry. Okay, yeah. How was that for me? Um, yeah, okay, so... Um, we have spent... I have spent the last probably four or five, maybe six years, knowing who these people were and knowing what our government has done in our name to them. And I don't care that it was the state of Louisiana instead of the United States of America. It was still USA Inc. versus Freedom Fighters. And um, these, uh, these fellows, these gentlemen, put up with just, well, they didn't put up with, they suffered um heartbreaking uh uh torture twenty nine years in torture yes like inhuman exactly torture. exactly and it, it's it's like okay so uh, i mean this is I, I I almost feel like I can't talk about this now that I've met Mr. Woodfox in person it's like okay, now that I know you in person i I want to like be protective of him, but we can't do that. He doesn't, for one thing, he doesn't need my protection, right? Um, this man was, he had been subject to a cavity search every time he left and re-entered his prison cell for years and years. And finally, a federal judge, tell me if I'm wrong, guys, I'm pretty sure I've got this, this is the right story for the right man. Finally, a federal judge was like, you cannot do this, period, and this must stop now, okay? They waited until that judge died, and the day after he died, they went right back to that stuff. This is nothing but torture. So not only do not only are we authorizing enslavement, we're authorizing all the things that come naturally with enslavement. That is the right to beat, the right to abuse, the right to torture, the right to kill. The only thing that we don't do in this current system that we did under the old system is take someone's child and put them to work immediately upon them hitting the age where they can lift a, you know, a, a bag and, and, and get to work. Um, you know, that's the, that's the only, well, I'm, I'm probably exaggerating, but that's the only interest, that's the only difference that comes to my mind right now. And getting to meet these gentlemen who suffered so much with such incredible, unbelievable dignity was um, a... Um, a peak experience, you know. It was, it was like it was like meeting a uh, a hero that didn't let you down when you met them. You know, if you remember, uh, one of the members was released uh, just a few months, like two days before he died. No, it was, one of the it was members not a was few released. Months. It was like, like a like a month before he passed. You know, Herman uh, Wallace. Herman Wallace. Yeah, he was dying yeah. of cancer, and he yeah. had this dream of a house he wanted to. Yeah, amazing. Man. So Just I wanted to, uh, I wanted to toss it back to Hannah because I kind of 
you know, uh, short-circuited yes. her a little bit. But, Hannah, did you get to, you know, talk, have any, spend any one-on-one uh, -on -one time or exchange some words with uh, Robert King? Or, or did you meet anyone, you know, that you had a a really, you know, special experience meeting as ab on the abolitionist field that day? Because I didn't go to the march, but I was at the rally and I stayed for the whole time. A lot of different people that I've met that, um, like, that left a, like, a, not a good impression, but left me like, wow. And I would say it was basically Angola 3. Because not only that did they come out there, well, not they, but Richard come out there and he spoke and he just, he just said it, what it was in the best way that he could. Um, it's just more of an honor for someone from the Black Panther Party who the Black Panther Party whom I admire to be at such a historical march and be, be in solidarity with us, even though he's been through white violence and white supremacy. Um, so it was just an honor, for, especially me being someone so young and like watching like documentaries on the Black Panther Party when I was a kid. I wanted to be a part of the Black Panther Party. Um, so it was just that's just their presence there, and then um, Ramona, Ramona Africa as well, and the one speaker from I don't, Jericho. I like Jericho I liked him when he yeah. yeah the Jericho movement. I don't remember his name. Oh, you mentioned him though, Scotty Jamil. I think his name is the oh, guy. Can y'all hear me? The white. Can, can y'all hear me? We can now. Yes, I can hear you now. Yeah, that was Jihad Abdul Momit. He is one of okay. the founders yeah, and former political prisoner and uh, founder of Jericho Movement. Yeah, and it was also nice to hear him speak and the brother from Boston telling his story the way he told it in such a poetic point and what also stuck out to me is how I'm going to call him a race trader race trading coon because you don't come up to you, you. he clearly hears what we're talking about and then he sees his brother on stage his black brother on stage and then he interrupts him and that really honestly pissed me off because it's disrespectful and I expect that from a white racist I expect that from a cop but I don't really expect that to see it in person from someone that's uh, one of our black brothers and whether he's ignorant he's, he just came at him rough and no one knew what to expect so it's, it had everyone on guard for a moment and it was like it wasn't like but he was a plant because as soon as that happened the police came closer than they were ever the whole day. So I, I know it was a plant just to get distracted and to get our message, to get to cloud our message. But the most influential people that I met were the Angola Three, just from what they've been through and the sister from the Move 85. And what really set it off was when Brother, uh, I always mess his name up, Abu Jamal Mumia. Mumia, when Abu he Jamal, called it. Yeah. Mumi Abu Jamal, thank you. I always mess it up. I always confuse it, mix it up. But when he called in, that was really powerful, and I'm glad we were able to experience that. Um, and I just, that whole day was like, it was just a blessing for me 
I'm new to organizing. I've only been organizing a year almost since the death of Tyree King, like actively organizing in the streets. So to have the honor to speak at such a historic march in Washington, D.C. with like-minded abolitionists, it was it was truly a blessing. And I thank everyone that, you know, supported me and that everyone that supports the movement. I just want to remind everybody that, again, like it doesn't take but a few of us to get this abolished. And... Like Harry Tubman said, I, I freed a thousand slaves. I could have freed a thousand more if only they had known they were slaves. So I just don't try to really focus that much on people who are willfully ignorant about anything that's going on within the black community because they're choosing to be ignorant. Yes, it's good to be patient and not look down on people, and I don't do that, but I cannot continue to uh, waste my time with folks that see the knowledge and don't want to reach for it. But you can take Hannah, a can, you can Hannah, take a horse to the water but you can't make him drink. Hannah, in that guy's defense, in that guy's defense, I could tell uh-huh. I could tell within a few minutes of talking to him. Now I don't know if he was a veteran or not, but he is a veteran. Um a high percentage of them suffer from mental illness, PTSD, being chewed up by the military yeah, industrial. Uh, complex or he could have been high on amphetamines by the way he was you notice how he was kind of hyperactive and when I got to see right. some of the footage you know uh, afterwards that that troll uh, made I'm glad he made the footage I can cut out his trolling uh, but you mm-hmm. see the guy just running he you know came into the area and I'm talking about the black guy that that bump, tried to bum rush yeah. the stage he came running from like from towards the White House from that way. And he just cut right through the crowd. So it wasn't like he was standing there listening. He just can't he heard mm-hmm. a few words over that PA system. He came running over there and you know what happened, what happened. Um but uh, like, you know, we were able to nonviolently and professionally handle that and pull him off to the side and then that troll that was Correct. out there that troll that was out there then did a little interview of the guy and I watched the interview and that that man was not in his right mind you know stuff like that happens all the time at public mm-hmm. events and so I don't think that he it was really that he was opposed to what was going on I think that he was suffering from mental illness and didn't know cause in that interview he talked about he indicated that he had been in before arrested a number of times and gone before the judge. But like I said, he was very incoherent and he was like kind of babbling and, and speed talking. And so, but yeah, so, but I mean, just to show that to me, anybody that watched that footage, how come the slave catchers can't handle such disturbances nonviolently? Right. That's why we need to abolish like them. House. We do not need police in our neighborhoods or even in our in our surroundings to aggressively, overly, over, overtly aggressively police us and unable to de-escalate situations without killing us or some uh, somehow brutalizing us. And this is why I made sure I spoke about the police because of everything that just goes in Columbus, Ohio and before uh, I became activist in Columbus, Ohio just everything that's going on in the nation and that's what they're made for that's what they do, they, they're here to only abuse us 
and capture us. That's what they were created for. They were never created to protect and serve. And, and I just felt like it was very important to link the two. And that's why I spoke about them. That's why I dedicated my speech to Tyree King, um, who was killed last year. And the anniversary of his death is coming up shortly on September 14th. You so know, I after just that, like, sorry, go ahead, Max. After go that ahead, guy Max. interrupted us, you know who was speaking while all that distraction was going on? Me. You can yeah. hear me in the background. So while all this distraction is going on, that was my time to speak. Yep. But we got him out of there pretty quick, though. That that disturbance wasn't like five minutes. I mean, it, it sound like it seemed like in the moment it was eternity, but I think we handled that quite professionally and I appreciate all the brothers, you know, that came to talk to this brother and, and usher him off to the side, nonviolently get him calmed down. And that was yes. Jihad. Jihad is the one who really calmed him down, you know, so it it was great. Um looks like somebody from um, San Diego area uh, wants to chime in. You're on New Abolitionist Radio. Thank you for joining us. Go ahead with your name and your question or comment. First, this is Layla Aziz. I want to say, Hannah, I love you. I am sorry. Your speech was so... Peace, and Layla. Welcome to New Abolitionist Radio. Yes, yes. I can't wait to meet everyone in person. That's the biggest um, downer for me that I didn't go to D.C. I went to the Riverside one because you guys are family. And I feel as though we've developed that. One thing that I believe Hannah said that I really want to talk about though is this bus trip. And then someone else chimed in on the 17 day bus trip. We need to figure out how we can get um, Max and Scotty and possibly the Angola Three on this and have scheduling with all of these local organizations we've created to get you guys in front of the people. So we need to raise some money. Yeah, that's what we've been thinking about, too. And uh, it's one of the reasons why today I'm officially moving from Facebook to the Black Talk Radio Network community uh, here, where we have our own community. I mean, it's not a whole lot of people there, but maybe if I go, others will follow me behind. I'm tired of building Zuckerberg's community. I want to build something lasting for us. So well, as of today, well, Max, I'm on the Black Talk Radio Network. Well, well, Max, you know, and this is not a shameless plug because we're a nonprofit organization, but we're one BTR community, which is a social network similar to Facebook. We don't have all the bells and whistles, but it's a social media community. You can do all the basic stuff you do on social media. So Part of the way we funded the D.C. trip was, you know, we had hit our one-year anniversary in August, and some of those who had taken a $24 a year subscription out a year ago, some some of those uh, uh, subscriptions renewed. So we were able, and so I, it, it wasn't just that people on the network said we need our own social media community because of X, Y, and Z, but I also looked at it as a way for us to remain non-corporatized and fund our own stuff with just a lot of people pitching in pennies or in this case $24 for a year of social media. Uh, you get a dollar a week, $5 a month, but 20, most people get $24 a year and that is how we can fund stuff like we're discussing uh, now. So it's not, a, you know, I'm not shamelessly plugging it, but I'm just trying to integrate uh, I live in a capitalistic system, 
So I'm trying to use capitalism to fund my for my social uh, uh, programming as well as my yes. acti- my abolitionist. And we activities. can upgrade it as we go along. It will right. improve. There's no doubt about right. that. Right. Hey, Layla, can you tell us about some of the events that occurred in San Diego too, and your experiences over there, and how you felt, and things like that? Um, two mothers who have sons in prison in Riverside actually did it in Southern California, and there was another um, rally in Los Angeles. Los Angeles, excuse me, and another one in San Jose. So I went to the Riverside rally. It took me about two hours to drive. There was nothing. And about, and my car was about five of us. And then another car, I think, was about four. So we all went up there. And when I got there, there was a beautiful stage. There was a banner. There was water. There were T-shirts. Everything that you needed. And there were people. And they were on a megaphone. I had no idea. I did see a speaker there. I had no idea that the speaker system didn't work because we used the megaphone. So I didn't know until they told me. And I thought it was a phenomenal event, phenomenal event. And a lot of it transpired because one of the women could not go to D.C. And she became very upset. And um, they said, let's just do it here. No one was listening to them. No one would work with them. And somehow they dug deep, these two women, Anna and Cecilia, and they got it done. Um, and Marissa, she helped too. And I was just so proud of them. Afterwards, um, they, they had Black Lives Matter there. They had um, All of Us or None there. They had Punks in Progress, which helped with the organizing and had you on their show, Max. I saw them do some phenomenal things. And one thing I want to be very clear on, I was just a speaker there. The organizers of Riverside were Anna and Cecilia, and they did a phenomenal job. At this point, I'm looking at what are our, what are our strengths. I'm kind of fired up. We need to have another conversation because we need to get to one of these foundations and we need to have a plan and a strategy of who to put you guys in front of and we need to fund a 17-day road trip all across yes. the United States, probably longer than that. Do you guys work? <laughs> a 13-day road trip. <laughs> okay, uh, it would be more, uh, I guess, <clears throat> significant, you know, 13. We need and, to and Max, you know I've been talking about taking the show on the road. I am transcribing because yes. I heard your speech loud and clear, Max. I didn't hear the guy yelling in the background. I must have zoned in or something. I didn't realize they were at the, at the same time. But I'm going to transcribe your speech. I'm going to transcribe um, Hannah's speech, Hannah's speech, and um, many of the other speeches, and I'm going to send them into the prison so they know exactly what you guys said out there and to even build it more. So I'm just excited about what you guys did. I thought it was phenomenal. I'll make sure I send you the speeches because sometimes you get the words wrong when you're transcribing so that you can look it over and say, okay, I didn't say this, this is what I said, and we can get the right words in there. But the, the message was clear. I did, I did hear, I think, Hannah say that there were other speakers who their message wasn't as clear. I don't think I listened to their message, and that's why I didn't hear that. But I know that you guys, and I've learned so much about my messaging through you guys. Now, my message is clear because I was schooled by the best, and I'm not tooting your horn <laughs> because this is serious business, what we're going to do. Right, right, and you have, And I paid attention, and that's why my message is clear. I still want you to tell me how that other interview went. There's some things I want to do a little bit better, but I'll talk to you offline. Don't, don't embarrass me because <laughs> I really want to hear what you have to say. But we got to get you guys on the road. Like, seriously, we have to have a plan to do that where you're compensated for the time you're going to miss, where you eat food, lodging, gas. We have to make that happen, where you're you're in front of every legislature that we need you to be in front of, every organization as we build. And I'll be moving to Black Talk Radio today. I didn't realize that was going on, so I will make sure I do that today. Awesome, awesome. If if, if I might just say a couple things. One, 
we didn't have any real, uh, as far as I know, there was nobody videotaping the entire event whose job it was to videotape the entire event, which is kind of a, a loss towards history. But a lot of people individually videotaped them. Right now, we have no record of Tribal Rain's uh, performance, and we're hoping somebody videotaped Tribal Rain doing her poetry there. We know we have audio of it on Black Talk Radio, but no video. So if you have videos, please make sure you share them or tag us, Max Parthas, Scotty Reed, New Abolitionist Radio, any of that, Leila Aziz, Hannah, uh, anybody that's part of the movement, and they'll get it to us so we can start compiling this stuff for historical purposes. <clears throat> and uh, also, when you talked about messages, I just want to mention about my speech. I gave this speech in my freaking life. Like, really. I spent so much time studying and cramming and writing down what I was going to say and do. And then when things unfolded, as they did with the confusing message, I threw all of that out the window and let the Spirit speak through me. <laughs> like, I just just spoke right off the top and let the Spirit speak through me and let uh, the Lord bless my words so people could hear me. And uh, the message of abolitionism was not as clear as I had wanted it to be or hoped it would be. We had at least several speakers that got up there and kept talking about mass incarceration. And we're like, yo, didn't you read the bill? Didn't you see the, the signs? We're not talking about mass incarceration. We're talking about that's slavery. That you need to get your message straight. Max, that's you know? that programming. And I understand now what you were saying about to me at the rally about some of the chants during the march. But as was mentioned earlier, you know, I'm really learning to develop my patience because the programming is real. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? The programming is real. And mass media has been programming people with, with the f term mass incarceration in, in the new Jim Crow for so long that it's just taken some people who are, who are well-meaning and are committed to their activism, but they just having you have to be intentional with your words i think maybe one of the speakers said that maybe robert king said that um you have to be intentional with your words and that's something i've certainly said you know over and over uh during the years and and to whoever will listen it's slavery it's one word it's easier than mass incarceration because that's two words you save people time by just calling it slavery so, you know, uh, um, but we do have to be patient and we have to have those conversations afterwards with those people and tell them we're trying to be on the same page. It's actually what the 13th, the 13th Amendment doesn't have mass incarceration in it. And if we got to pull out the 13th Amendment, we have, you know, it's sort of like we're deprogramming. It's not sort of like we are. We are deprogramming uh, uh, people. With that, with Just that, a, uh, yeah. Interjection, Scotty. Yeah. As you know, my daughter went into labor while we were up there speaking at the march. And yeah. She's in labor and delivery right now, uh, having birth to our uh, granddaughter right now. We just oh got wow! Happy birthday. <laughs> she's born in an incredible time, indeed. An incredible time. Wonderful. We got to get this job done before she comes Delicious. of age. Go ahead. That's Somebody was trying to speak. Mm -hmm. Mike, Mike is open if somebody wanted to speak. We heard somebody. No, I was just to... saying that was, that's an auspicious time. That's that's a uh, congratulations, Max and Tribal. We can hear you, yeah, in the background. Who is that? And thank you, Greg. Thank you. <laughs> it's Anne Marie. Hey, Anne Marie, my fellow bully. <laughs> <laughs> Hi, Anne. <laughs> hello, yeah. hello. 
I'm sitting here. I finally stopped doing the dishes. <laughs> I finally got to meet you. Me and Anne Marie in the same room was like Godzilla and Mothra up there. You know oh what yeah. What I mean? <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm on I'm on muzzle right now because uh, my husband and I are still um, under the thumb of the system, and the only reason. And I wanted to give a shout out to everyone who could not attend because they were on probation and parole and their uh, officers would not let them leave. So I wanted to mention them. And, uh, you know, like I had mentioned, uh, the only reason we got to go is we're in a limbo system where uh, our sentence was stayed. So I'm not officially sentenced, even though I am. I'm on post-conviction bail and a lot of people <laughs> It's, what's interesting, when when you guys talk about all the tentacles of the system, this is a, a part of the system that most people don't know anything about because it's an unusual circumstance. So, uh, again, I wanted to just mention everybody who couldn't be there, and I was uh, saddened by that, but uh, otherwise, uh, we were there for them. All of us were there for them, and we were there for the people inside who couldn't get out. Amen. Like my son couldn't attend because probation wouldn't let him. There was a lot of people that couldn't attend because probation wouldn't let him. The system was well aware of what we were doing, which is why I'm clearly saying that this white supremacist movement was a distraction from what we were doing. They locked That's down prisons. Yep. Entire states' prisons were put on lockdown, like yes, Florida, for instance, in anticipation of the march. And then yes. some of the prisons, people marched around the prisons. I believe that happened in uh, the Kansas City <clears throat> marches. They marched around the prisons. So the prisoners who were political prisoners that were inside could look out and see what people were doing with for them and with them at the same time. I thought that was pretty amazing. Well, Max, you yeah. know, from what I've been reading and the intelligence I've been gathering, I, w I, would, I would just say a lot of things happen that weekend. And I, I, I'm not aware of any Klan rallies or anything like that. I heard about some noise. But it was like in Charlotte, for example, I read that on the smartphone while I was in D.C. I was like, who's holding the rally in Charlotte on August the 19th and why? And it was a, a, a rally organized uh, for uh, Heather Hayer. It, isn't that the casualty, the victim of the uh, yes. terrorists yes. in Charlottesville? So it was a lot of rallies. I don't want to say it was the ACLU. I don't want to say it was the SPLC. But I think some organization playing these rallies. I think the NAACP, North Carolina, might have been, been involved in what have you. So there's been a lot of organization against white supremacy. That's the word they've been using. But again, as I've tried to stress to my brothers and sisters who are in the counter racist movement who think that white supremacy is the is the is the system that we're battling against again if you do the research you'll find that uh, race-based laws were passed during the colonial period on this landmass to ensure slavery to enforce a race-based slavery Okay, uh, so that history shows that white supremacy has been used as a tool to ensure that slavery exists. Okay, so well, when we were again, coming, uh, yeah. when we were coming home, 
on Sunday. Uh, Reverend Barber used to be in charge of the North Carolina. He still is. NAACP. And he left. He just recently left. Um, he's no longer in that position. No, that's not um, true. I just watched a video of him giving a press conference two days ago. Um, he's, yeah, he, he, he was, uh, we heard, we caught a little bit of it on the radio coming in because he he was leaving to head up uh, the poor people's. Um, oh, really? I oh, hadn't I heard that the, news. I hadn't heard that news. Yeah, but but we had heard him, along with what you're talking about, is uh, he said that you have to worry more about the statute with a T than the statues. Just what you said. So uh, we had heard that when when we were driving, uh, I I guess it was like Sunday evening, we were in traffic so long, I I lost track of the time, but uh, that's what he was talking about, Uh, the statutes, the whole legal system uh, has always been used as a system of oppression because by definition one group is writing laws and they are oppressing someone else so enslaving people with, I start with laws. Too radical. <laughs> yeah and, and enslaving people uh through laws but what i really yeah. want to say to the people who turned out to those demonstrations against white supremacy is to consider abolitionism why i'm not saying white supremacy don't exist i'm saying it's a tool to enslave people Slavery is the disease. White supremacy is just one of the tentacles and and tools of enforcement. But those people who turned out to those rallies, I think if we point out to them that those are actual monuments to slavery. Okay, so make your connection to the slavery past to the slavery present. And after we get through, after you get through taking these, well, I'm going to include myself. Because prior to all of this, I had wrote, written the ACLU in North Carolina to uh, challenge North Carolina state laws protecting those statutes based on the 14th Amendment, which outlawed the Confederacy. And then just you playing the U.S. citizen card, although I, I, I don't identify in that manner, I'll play that card in court. You know, so I, I'm with that. I'm with that. But I also realize, though, it's also, you know, connected to present day slavery. So I think that that camp over there are right for the picking, you know, for abol- to converting to abolitionists. I'll be quiet now. <laughs> All right. If we have anybody who hasn't had an opportunity to talk, please chime in. Just press star star on your cell phone or uh, I believe there's a way you can click it if you're listening online with earphones you can even join in the conversation here with us but we'd like to hear your voice too we're down to our last half hour we're going to take a break in a moment so if you're on the line now and you haven't spoken please chime in I'd like to say uh, alright we got two people let's start with uh, Otis Otis I believe I heard you let's and start Let's let's else. start with the lady I was going to say ladies first man all right, well, I heard you first. That was why I said let's start with Otis. But Leah, oh, sure, let's start ladies first. Hey, it's Andrea from Omaha. Hey, Andrea, welcome to New Abolitionist Radio. Uh, thank you for calling in. And uh, what is your comment or uh, feelings on the matter? Um, well, I hosted the demonstrations here, and um, 
as you were talking about white supremacy marches, there was about three others at the same time as ours. And <clears throat> I, like, made mine pretty public with all the activist groups around here. We have quite a few and um, all that stuff. And so instead of just working with me and coming to mine, everybody decided to host their own for different reasons. Like there was a health care march. There was a, you know, no place for hate march. There was another one. And so it was, a, I was frustrated, I guess, because it was like there, all these people originally said they were coming, they were going to support us. And then the other ones kind of took some people from us. And it's fine. I do think those things are important too, but like, you know, I kind of feel like why not all of us just work together in one group and like, let's have this one today. I'll come to yours tomorrow. You know, the other one I'll go to next week, whatever. I'll be at all of them if I could, you know, because I'll support everybody. But one thing I do want to say is that I have to thank the LGBT people that came to support us, the um, people from the Women's March that came to support us, Black Men United came, and they've been supporting you from the get-go. Um, and then there was another group. I'm forgetting your group. But um, anyway, but no one from the prison community came except for me. And that kind of broke my heart a little bit because I'm like, what? what is it going to take for you guys to stand up for yourself? Well, now, um, I mean, I'm kind of excited about it, but I'm kind of overwhelmed too because now I'm the spokesperson for all the prisoners. So now there's, in the past, few days since then I've gotten contacted so many times and I'm like wow I don't really have anyone helping me and now I have 15 people I need to get back to like <laughs> what can I do for you what do you need for me you know and I think that's great but I'm like I'm already helping 40 prisoners and so now I'm like adding even more and I'm like oh my goodness well like I'm by myself pretty much because I mean, I'm just the one that does it, I guess. I'm the, act I'm right. the activist here for that reason, and I'm the advocate for them. So, so yeah, I'm a little overwhelmed, but at the same time, I'm, I'm, I'm glad they know somebody's out here, but I would have just liked for there to have been more of us, you know? Yes. But we were out uh, there, people were seeing our message, so I'm excited about that, too. Thank you for organizing. You said in Omaha? Yeah, Nebraska. Wow, Omaha, Nebraska, all over the country. Thank you for putting that together. Uh, if you need help, there are two forums that you can reach out to other abolitionists to get some help. Uh, that would be the Millions for Prisoners Human Rights March uh, main website on Facebook, and also the Move to Abolish uh, Slavery and Human Trafficking forum on Facebook that we have through New Abolitionist Radio. Those are uh, groups of people who are willing to assist in efforts towards abolitionism. So if you need some help, just reach out there. Hopefully we can get a few people to give you a hand. Uh, speaking of Omaha, uh, you know we lost political prisoner, former Black Panther Party uh, member or affiliate organization, Mondo Wilanga. Um, he passed away. Uh, his government name was David Rice. Um, but Ed Poindexter is still a political prisoner. Uh, the two of them were known as the Omaha too. So, um, shout out to Ed yeah. Poindexter. I actually put Edward Poindexter in my um, speech. Um, he had open heart surgery not too long ago. I think that a lot of everybody here knows him and everybody knows that he, all this time, for years and years, he's maintained his innocence. They 
never really had any evidence against them, but I guess that's kind of the, you know, normal thing for that, anyone with that association during that time that got picked up. But, um, yeah, so he, he's a really well-known name here in Nebraska, and so I put him in my speech as well. Awesome, man. Awesome. Thank you so much for sharing your experiences. And uh, I'm glad that you're inspired. And this is one thing I want to point out, and then Otis, we bring you in, is that if you take a look at the diversity that we're dealing with here, it's not an all-black issue, it's not all-white issue, it's not all-red uh, issue, yellow, blue, green. It's all people coming together for one single cause to end slavery because we know that most of these issues we're dealing with right now, including the racism, stem from that. And not from slavery in 1865, from slavery in 2017 with free labor and you're selling human bodies on the open market through jail bonds and prison stocks and the abuse and the torture that we've talked about, including and up to sexual abuse and torture. Yeah, traumatic slave syndrome. And with all due respect to the good doctor, there's nothing post-traumatic about slavery when it's still present, you know. So that's like trauma that's being committed every day on these on these persons. Otis, go ahead, yes, bro. Well, I just want to augment something you said. It was talking about Mr. Woolfolk and, and uh, solitary confinement. Woodfox. Wood. A doctor, Woodfox. Uh, there's a, a Harvard Medical School psychiatrist. I, I pull up these things all the time after talking with y'all. He said in one study, he found roughly a third of solitary confinement inmates are actively psychotic and acutely suicidal. That's from uh, lack of human contact, inability to communicate, leaves you with psychiatric syndromes characterized by hallucinations, panic attacks, overt paranoia, diminished impulse control, hypersensitivity to external stimuli, difficulties with thinking, concentration, and memory. Some inmates even lose the ability to maintain a state of alertness while others are developing crippling obsessions. So when you look at a man who's been through that over 40 years, it takes a strong mind to do it. Some of those minds can't take it, just like that brother that jumped in. I went over that video several times after I saw it uh, during the march. And I also went over the guy who taped him who has a history of doing this. So that was nothing new for him. He just jumped in on a weak mind and tried to use it for his agenda. But the brother that was talking, if you stop and, and, and listen to the transcripts of what he was saying, he's suffering from some kind of mental condition. There's no question about it. And the other thing I wanted to say is we need to use Facebook a little bit more concentrated. I've looked at some of the things with NGOs and talk about how these people are pushing hashtags and making millions of dollars a year. Are you still there? Yes, we can hear you. All right. What I'm saying is we should target maybe on a Monday, maybe on a Wednesday, whatever you want to do. Simple means with simple uh, meanings to it, like the 13th had never been abolished, and 
put those out at the same time on every platform. I don't care if it's 7 o'clock in the morning. Put it on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. That's what it takes to make these things go viral. I After studying Twitter and Instagram, we've got 16 to 20 different places all over the country. If only three of us in each location put them out at the same time, we can get the message out and don't make them long and complicated. The other thing is uh, uh, when it comes to exception cause, diagramming a sentence is one of the best things you could do for people because I did it in the fifth grade and got in trouble and I'm only a mile away from the school I did this in named James Weldon Johnson. When you diagram a sentence for the 47 words in that 13th, you can get to the part when it says exception. People, I've had lawyers tell me, yeah, but. No, there is no but. The way that phrase is structured, once you get to accept, you're not getting rid of slavery. What you're doing is changing slavery from a privately run institution to government sanctioned because the government is the only one that has the power to duly sentence you in court. And people need to understand that. Part two of the uh, 13th Amendment clearly states that Congress has power to enforce this. Exactly. And I'm through with that now. I love the job y'all did. (laughs) Thank you, Otis. Uh, Everybody did a great, great, wonderful thing. We got 20 minutes left in our broadcast here. Scotty, I've already put up our Rider of the um, 21st Century Underground Railroad, so we can skip through that one. Max, excuse me. I'm checking my email. Um, I'm not sure. Um, I don't think Mind, Body, and Spirit Radio was on um, tonight. I'm checking my email just to be sure. And but I'm sure if I'm request if I requested it, I can go you know over time. So uh, we don't have to get off air right at the top of the hour. I see we do still have plenty of mics open. So if people want to share, this was a historic event, you know, and just so many special moments for me. You know, uh, this was my first actual trip or participating in any kind of way, any kind of role in in pulling off um, what we did in Washington, D.C. And just how, um, you know, within a week, everything just came together and how some things fell in place to to our favor. And it, it just seemed like, you know, for those spiritual people out there, because I'm a spiritual person, it just felt like the creator wasn't going to let anything go, you know, uh, stop us from what happened. And like we've heard the people from the different areas of the country say, you know, that um, they people had other rallies, didn't come out and support. But you still had one. You still had a gathering and you made an impact. So that's when, again, you were part of a whole collective. I, uh, Max said up to 20 cities. I read 16. Um, but I, I read in the paper, you know, uh, combined, we were in the thousands. So, so yes. don't think that your small, your small crowd was part of the collective. And what's that old African uh, proverb about the ants conquering the elephant? So, you know, you played your role. Be proud. Yes, and it, it was so important, so historic that a freaking full solar eclipse occurred just after 
the yeah, yeah. Uh, event. I mean, on the anniversary of Den of uh, of Nat Turner's rebellion. I mean, how more significant to get in history than what we just witnessed? This is never going to happen again like that. All the stars was aligned. So yeah, the impact is certainly there. Uh, do if we have some new callers uh, and you did not speak yet, please take this opportunity to go ahead and speak. No, I need to do both. But please watch your background noise also. Uh, so anybody that hasn't spoken that wants to share with their thoughts with us tonight, please go ahead. Uh, good evening, gentlemen. Um, my name is Trevor Griffiths. I took, I took the trip down to D.C. Greetings. Uh, from New York City. New York City it was quite a quite an adventurous drive. Uh, I was I was blessed to be a part of this to be a part of this march and uh, hear the different speakers. You know, as someone who who just served twenty three years straight. You know, I've been on five years now, and uh, it was it was really amazing to see you know all these people come out and actually care about what's going on with the brothers behind the wall. You know, it, it, if it was like an out-of-body experience for me because I've never seen that many people in one place that actually gave a damn, you know, that was really in tune to what's happening. So, you know, I, I was really grateful to be a part of it. And I'm definitely looking, looking forward to... Uh, you know, to doing my part to assist her to end, you know, slavery in prison and, and out here. Because actually, that's what it is, you know. It's a, it's a slavery and it's a plantation. You know, I worked in those, I, I worked in the different programs in New York State prisons, you know, for a lot of years when I wasn't locked down in solitary confinement. And they starting out with, you know, 14, 15 cents an hour. You know, and you work. It ain't like you know, just sweeping, mopping. You work. And you know, when I came home, I was like, yo, there's got to be a way to to put a dent in a number of people that just get shut away, and nobody seems to give a damn. You know, and and then when I came across this, uh, when I came across this on Facebook. I said, hold on, you know, because I'm a part of this group of prison reform movement. And they, they gave me the link to the march, and I said, hold on a second, man. This is something that I definitely need to be a part of. You know, I called my boss the next day. and said, look, man, you know, I'm taking some vacation time, you know, around this time because I'm, I'm definitely going. You know, and uh, I couldn't, unfortunately, I couldn't get a, a few of my other friends to, like, you know, come with me. Because you know they wives told them they couldn't go, whatever. But uh, <laughs> you know, I I I could dig it. You know, <laughs> I understood. Said, yes, yeah, sir. You know, I said it's gonna be. It's about peace and you know trying to and trying to you know progress and trying to help the brothers that we left behind. It ain't about going down there, you know, tearing the building down, you know, tearing tearing up DC. You know, it's not about that. It's about education. So that's the only way we can move forward. But uh, I was really, I was, I was really blessed to be a part of this. You know, I met some interesting people. Uh, it, it, it was, 
it was a blessing for me. That's, that's basically it. It was just a real blessing for me. Gave you hope, didn't it, brother? Absolutely. Yes, like, and that was what it was the main thing to give us hope because we all felt like we were fighting this losing battle where we had to go on fighting forever but here we got hope something that could bring us all together something that cares about all of us including the lives behind bars and I mean and, and it wasn't it wasn't a bunch of nonsense I mean it wasn't no, it wasn't no shooting nobody was burning nothing you know it was just people expressing their viewpoints people educating it was you know educating the masses you know, letting them know about, yo, some of these people that's been locked away 25, 30 years, they're still people. You know? Even if they even if they did what they what they right. what they've been accused of. Even if they did, they are still human beings and they should have the respect and the rights of human beings. And if you understand, you know, no matter what color your skin is, if you understand any any of the concept of slavery and what it is, then you should give a damn about the people who are still enslaved. What you're talking about and what um, Scotty was talking about with the programming and the education, I'll share my experience um, when you go into the system, then the words in the 13th take on their true meaning because for the first time that uh, I went to jail, my husband and I were down and, and you know, when you're going to go on the wagon to take you to the jail, you're in the bottom of the courthouse. So everybody's coming in and out of there while you're sitting in handcuffs. And the first time that you really understand what the system is is when you see men shackled around the waist, uh, shackled by their ankles, and shackled with their hands being paraded endlessly in front of you, all chained together. And then you're like, and I don't mean to curse, but you have that epiphany, and you're like, holy shit, that's really what this is. And a lot of people, they, they, I think they need a visual, and maybe somebody that's more creative than I am will come up with a visual representation. But for me, that was when I knew. And, you know, you read those words, and a lot of things that people read, you read it, and you're like, yeah, okay, whatever, and you don't really get it until you do. So that's just my two cents on with the programming. Uh, a lot of people just really don't get it until they're there and they see firsthand what's going on. If you ever get a chance to the listeners, watch uh, a special that they did about Cooks County in Chicago where they had this underground tunnel. And all during the day, exactly what you just described is occurring. A long yes. train of men shackled hand and foot going from the jail to the courthouse in the one big human flesh assembly line from yes, slave exactly to criminal with one amendment. Yep. Got it. I, I just like to interject right here. What so many people don't understand is with 95% of plea bargains, it is almost statistically assured that half of the people that are there 
shouldn't be there in the first place. So when people keep seeing this Freedom Project and the Innocence Projects where people are still making, it's a good project, don't get me wrong, because it takes a lot of legal rigor maraud to get some of these people out. But the truth is, when you find out that police officers are willing to lie, willing to plant evidence, and it's becoming more and more apparent, the hardest block that I find is when you talk to people about somebody in jail, the first thing they say is, yeah, but what did they do? It doesn't matter what they did. Once they are stopped by a police officer for anything, whether driving, walking, stop and frisk, once that police officer goes to that courtroom and tells the people his story, he's assumed to be telling the truth. And we know right. now that's not the case. Right. And that's due to the programming, the television programming of, you know, the different okay. cop shows and stuff where they're always portrayed as being uh, people who are honest and and have integrity. But see, again, we live in a different time. And I know that some people that I call friends and, and I work with them, but they sometimes seem to be anti-technology. But I'm like, but this technology can be used against them. And so while, you know, let's not let's not dismiss technology as a tool. And we just have to get better at our propaganda uh, efforts so that we can combat, you know, the system programming. So it, that all boils down to the simple word of education, like the brother from New York was saying. And that's what the rally was really about. It was about straight up education. It wasn't there to make a scene or or to destroy property or anything but just educate people because once you become aware that slavery was never abolished there's two things that come to your mind first how and I'm speaking to myself how am I in my 40s and I didn't know and I consider myself educated and I didn't know you know that slavery was ever abolished and then two you know it just really changes your life now, if you're one of those people that can walk away and be apathetic after that and say, yeah, whatever, when you do get it, like she said, when you get that, you know, it, for you to be, I mean, you just as bad as a slaver to me. And, you know, like a, a George Zoli, the head of CEO, because how can you be apathetically, you know, on the issue of slavery? So I think it's just a matter of us keep putting the 13th Amendment, because it speaks for itself. And we can explain the different tentacles, but let's make clear that those tentacles all lead to one place, and that's legalized hey, slavery. Yeah, I want to interject on something that Otis said earlier, and this is a story we won't, apparently won't be able to go over tonight, but I think that everybody should pay close attention to this. As you know, we have been keeping track of what happened all the way back in New York when they had the police slow down and they were forced to go back and start using these arrest tactics that they had been using before and summons and so on because the city was losing money. And then we also followed up with the uh, story about the police officers from New York who came out publicly and told about these quotas that were going on and how their jobs were on the line. And they were risking their lives behind this huge conspiracy that was fleecing the citizens of New York and, and beyond. Well, now, Sean King, the man who wrote the article in the New York Times about the 13th Amendment never abolishing slavery, 
has come out with a new series called Soul Snatchers. And I'm just going to read what he said, <clears throat> just a paragraph what he said in regards to this five-part series. He said, this is the most important professional moment of my life. I didn't misrepresent. That's exactly what he said. I'm starting a new five-part five series called Soul Snatchers, how the NYPD's 42nd Precinct, the Bronx DA's office, and the city of New York conspired to destroy black and brown lives. What I'm about to tell you is the most painful, traumatic, outrageous, outlandish, over-the-top story of government-sanctioned police brutality, wrongful imprisonment, wrongful convictions, forced testimony, widespread corruption, money, lots of money, and deep, 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 soul-snatching psychological abuse in modern American history. I would not have believed it had I not seen it all for myself. The rabbit hole I am about to take you down is deep and twisted. It should lead to the termination of a whole host of officials. Many should be arrested, and a comprehensive, independent investigation should begin immediately. You should pay attention to the story because it's a direct uh, relation uh, the, showing the 13th and how it's being exploited on black and brown and all bodies right now. So pay close attention to that story. I just want to throw that out there. Yeah, and I wanted to uh, also speak to something else. Otis mentioned that 97%, however, you know, high 90s uh, plea bargain rate. See, that also is education. Um, we got to look at the uh, jury nullification as well and, and running a public campaign and telling people to stop convicting people of crime. We're getting some background noise off, off somebody's line, and I can't identify it. You know what's funny is you guys are hitting on a lot of stuff that I was going to cover tonight. You know, but uh, you'll still be able yeah. to cover it. We're not shutting down it, oh, team. Yeah, 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 we're going. We're going to. We're, 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 we're going to be repeating a lot of stuff because it's important that you know this message gets out there because you know, like like the brother said, you know, the education is very important. A lot of people are just running around and just don't know, right? You know, and. Right. So think of a public campaign to to like Max. Me and Max was having a conversation earlier today. And so in mm -hmm. general terms, I told him there's nothing being done that the masses have not allowed. We've been allowing slavery. We've been allowing this. We've been allowing that. Remember, Frederick Douglass said the limit of tyrants is prescribed by the endurance of those that they oppress. And we've been uh, enduring a whole a whole lot so I mean in terms of like the the uh, plea bargain rate there needs to be a public campaign to tell people to stop pleading then when you have then you clog up the system to where they can't even prosecute cases you just back it up it might be 20 years before you had your first trial you know your trial or whatever if people would just plead innocent and and I and it's easy for me to say that sitting here not facing any charges so that just comes down to personal conviction that if I'm innocent that I'm not going to allow them to frighten me into taking a plea deal for something I know I didn't do and but also yeah go ahead people who wants to speak on that but they could keep you in jail until uh you know until your trial like like when you think about what happened with uh Khalif Browder um 
he had the same sentiment, and uh, that's what my husband and I, we fought it out. Um, but it wasn't enough people. Uh, jury trial. It wasn't and, enough people, uh, though. I was lucky enough that they were not torturing me every day because I was able to afford bail to get out, but they would have tortured me in jail every day until I took a plea deal because that's what they do to you. That's That's how they use the bail system and all the other mechanisms that are in there to... Uh, torture you into I need to get out of here because where are my kids or I'm going to lose my job or and they have this racket stitched up tight so people have to take a plea deal and one of the speakers at the uh, meet and greet there was a mother and daughter there and uh, she did the mother who was the speaker I'm sorry I've forgotten her name uh, she did less time with her plea bargain than uh her uh, cohort did, who went through a jury trial, who was still in prison at the time that she was speaking. So there are a lot of mechanisms. Uh, in I, under, the I, under, I understand that, but like you said in Khalif Browder's case, now if everybody would stop taking plea deals, and again I'm speaking hypothetically exactly. here, not facing any charges, him, right? but if you clog up the system. Like that, you wouldn't have any more space for the prisoners to keep everybody in jail. Then you have all this overflow, and then everybody's like, "Hey, what what's going on?" So again, me personally not facing it. If I was to face some charges, I'm going to plead innocent because I'm gonna be innocent. You know what I'm saying? So I do understand that. People have families, and the system basically coerces them to take these plea deals. I'm not ignoring that. I'm just speaking on the fact that we are, through circumstance or by through decision or through fear, and the fear is real, you know, uh, actually, you know, just willingly going along on this pipeline. Anne Marie, just to accent what you said, too, I've just posted two stories on New Abolitionist Radio. One man in Alabama spent 10 years. He's still in prison right now, never received a trial. Another one spent 35 years with no trial. See, how does this that is the happen? things that are happening to people. Man, how does yes, that the man happen? In I, have a, I have a question, if, if you guys don't mind. Yes, yes, go ahead. Yeah, somebody right. from 813. Yeah, uh... What's your name, is this, is sir? If you want to share your uh, name first, and I'm thank sorry. you for joining us. Uh, oh, I apologize, James. Thank you, thank you for having me. Um, so I'm wondering if we could address, you know, the the economic component, you know, in like a lot of these types of things, Cause, because I feel like um, like the economics are at the heart of a lot of why these uh, issues proliferate, right? Because oh, yeah. if you know, because if you're an underclass, right, then you can be funneled and, you know, you can get funneled into prisons, uh, you know, and everybody else can essentially exploit you in the form of bail, bail, bond, bail bondsmen, you know, lengthy prison that. sentences. And, um, you know, you have, and one thing they talked about in I'm 13 too, because I watched the documentary, is all these uh, industries that are tied to the prison industry. So I feel like there's no way from inside the prison to we change that because once you're in there then you're automatically uh, a factor in how they can not, not make money off of you right so externally you create an economic system where your people can't be easily targeted that way because you got to figure I mean how many police officers are yanking you know black people out of the suburbs in you know their homes 
and throwing them in jail without bail and without trials and everything. You know, they usually concentrate that kind of stuff on inner cities because they know, like Khalif Browder couldn't afford, what was it, $500, I think, for his bail? Um, Simple you know, so as that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's well, actually going on. When I was in there, bail was $75. They couldn't get out. Yeah, but it's not just happening yeah. in urban areas. Let me Let me just... Yeah. Say that it's happening in rural areas. It was one where they are offering. Where was that, Max? You reported that last week, uh, where they offer you to get sterilized. You know, if you want to get out of jail, um, you could give. You could, you know. Uh, I'm sorry. Um, sound like somebody. Yeah, that, was in, that, was in, that was in White County. I forgot which state it was, though. Yeah, so uh, I like. Yeah, so let let me just say this. One of the things that stood out to me and watching the footage and seeing all the photo photos is the diversity that is represented uh, in this and in in this movement and all the people that work together. Um, that that was really cool, man. That was really, 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 really just. I'm just really excited for the growth of this movement because we're gonna need like- those young people that were out there. I, I, if you don't mind, Scotty, I want my hand in the final comments from the caller, James, too, as well. Okay, I was going to James, give him an uh, opportunity to finish oh, speaking, yeah, I mean, but oh, I'm go sorry, ahead, Scotty, James. I didn't know. Yeah. yeah, go ahead, James. Uh, you see one of the final comments? Yeah. yeah, what you were saying, Scotty just advanced on it, you know what I mean? It, it, some examples and stuff like that, and so did Anne Marie. Is there anything else you want to add to that? Yeah, yeah, I mean, I like, I really feel, you know, based on, like, uh, like if you listen to what Dr. Clark Anderson says, um, you know, the only way to change any of that, really, because the system exists already, and it's way too profitable for them to really change it, the only way you can change that is to make yourself not be a permanent underclass. Well, James, James, let me, let me. That comes from economic opportunities. Yeah, let me stop you right there, James, because I kind of knew that's where you were headed, but all due respect. I think that Dr. Claude Anderson is wrong um, because how can a perm, how can a people and we're not just concerned about black people. The new abolitionist movement is concerned about human rights of human beings and all human beings are being enslaved in the United States of America, which has global uh, tentacles. So I know Claude Anderson, Dr. Anderson focuses on just the black community only. But let me point out, uh, I will point you to Yvette Carnell's Breaking Brown channel where black folks don't have the kind of money to buy their way out of white. You can't buy your way out, out of slavery, okay? You just really can't. You, They have all these systems in place to prevent you from doing that. That $1 trillion in spending power that we keep hearing about, that's that's the difference. And we talk about this on Tando Radio Show. We're talking about money that people are spending on bills and spending on rent and spending on, on just basic uh, needs to survive. There's a difference between spending power and assets. And for the most part, well, all, sta- I mean all statistics, I hear, I hear what you're saying. You're saying that we need to create enough black businesses so that we can employ enough black people so then the slave catcher won't prey on them because they employed, but that's a fallacy because Black Wall Street was burnt down. Okay, go ahead. All right, go ahead, bro. In the area that I just purchased a home in, 
do you want to know who's building all the houses in my area? It doesn't matter to me who's building homes. What matters to me is whether slavery exists or not in this land. But check what I'm saying, though. Check, check, check what I'm saying. You have tons of Hispanic men that are out here building all the homes in, in the neighborhood I live in and in the surrounding areas, right? Okay. How how likely do you do you feel that those men who have gainful employment, who are going to work every day, punching the clock, going home to a family, have two cars in their garage, have uh, insurance for their jobs in case they get hurt, they have benefits for their family and their children? How do you think he's more likely to get preyed on and thrown in jail, or do you think the young man who has zero economic opportunity and who's facing having to go here and sell drugs, Daddy. engage in illegal activity to try and make money to try and feed his kids versus a guy who has a, a, a dedicated so, job? So, again, so again, so again, so I'm in that industry. Otis, Otis, give me just a second. So, again, I'm not hearing in slavery and any of that what you just said. No, 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 no. What I'm saying is, is that is that it begins there. No, it does not. It does not begin there. It does not. I should not have to avoid being enslaved. There should not be no slave catchers out there prosecuting. No, give me, give me a second, James. No, I know the argument, and I'm gonna stop it right now. There's no buying your way out of slavery. All economic classes go to slavery. Are the billionaires children? Yes. If you become a millionaire, it's less likely that you're going to become a slave. So that's true. I will agree with you there. Okay. But what about all the, the masses of the people that will never become millionaires? Okay, so let's just be real. This capitalistic society has winners and losers, and black people ain't gonna be winners. You we're in this the way this racist system, capitalistic system is set up, and when they can throw us into slavery and make profit, I've heard people in that camp that you speaking of say, "Well, since black people are represent the biggest population in prison, then black businesses ought to have those prison contracts." servicing the prisons. So what they're talking about is participating in slavery. I ain't down with this. That's an abolitionist show. That's not what I'm saying. Hey, can I interject something? Can I interject something? Look, I've been in that business for almost 40 years. From Arizona, right on across this country, and I told people 20 years ago, I'm here in Virginia right now, I told people 20 years ago that Spaniards would be building the homes on the East Coast. Now, I'm not a genius, but I'm a pretty good observer. And here's what Scotty's trying to explain to you. You just put a lot of things on those Spanish workers. That's definitely not true. The, they don't all have insurance and homes or any of that. What they have is an employer who has paid their way to get here nine times out of ten if they're undocumented. A, a stable workforce that will not, for anything, will accept exactly what they're paid. And the other thing is, let me me finish, let me finish. And here's what they have that poor black people don't. If they get stopped on the way to the job, they call that employer, and because he needs them on the job, he pays what the system is set up to do. He pays their bail, their bond, and they work it off. Most black people don't have that, and what Scott and, is trying to tell he, you, and he the has system a, is set up. The system is set up to either incarcerate you 
or to demand money for your freedom. But and wait a minute, wait a minute, Otis. Our bro our uh Hispanic brothers and sisters is part of this abolitionist movement as they are filling up the private prisons. Entire families, the GO group. They even have children in there, so called teaching them English and brainwashing them to be good Americans. And, and I'm agreeing with you because I know you are, Otis. I know you are. But I yeah, want to also was say, man, uh, was the young man just talking about uh, the economics of being able to, or what people mythically think will enable them to not be trapped in the slavery system? Because if that's what you are saying, let me tell you how much a jury trial costs. This goes back to the whole reason that people have to take a plea bargain. And Yusuf was a lawyer, he can tell you. Uh, for my husband's trial for one week, it cost, and we don't have that money, and that's just, there was two of us going through the system. His trial alone would have been $30,000 for one week for a low-level felony. That's not including bail. That's not including the, the going to, in North Carolina, you go to lower court first until you get to superior court. So we already paid a few thousand each in lower court. And I had been lucky enough to be found indigent, which almost no one ever is. If you have a job, you will be, you will not be found indigent. If that's what you were talking about, uh, you will have to pay for a lawyer, and you will not be able to afford it. Nobody can afford it. The only reason my husband um, was able to afford his half after I was found indigent, and let me tell you something else right here. I would have gotten a divorce from him if I had to, to be found indigent so I could get a jury trial because I thought that that would help me. Uh, my husband's lawyer stopped charging him uh, at, at a certain point because he gave my husband a break, but everybody has to pay $30,000 each week in Superior Court for a felony. I just wanted to let everybody know that because the whole thing about jury trials in this country I don't think is completely understood because so few people get them. And my husband and I both got one. So I think that's what the young man may have been talking about also. And what Scotty is saying, that nobody can buy their way out of slavery unless you're rich because you have more privileges but you don't have rights. That's not something that I'm disputing. Like, I'm not disagreeing with anything you guys are saying, right? So I understand everything what you're saying. All I'm yes. saying is, is, well, first of all, there's several things. I don't particularly, I mean, I'm an immigrant, by the way, and even I don't believe that, that you know, that, like, black Americans should be caping for, like, other Hispanics and everything and stuff, strictly because they don't really cape for you guys, which is why when you see they come to the United States of America, they come in specifically for work, and literally to step over you for work and jobs and everything, which is why when their men come here, they do one thing. They find a job, they send for their family, and then they bring their family here, and they bring other people here to take jobs. The same jobs they tell you that aren't available for your people to work, that's the jobs that they're working. So that's why I'm trying to tell you, like, when I look in, in the area I live in, they look around, and I see them being successful. They're not over here on the street corner in the front of Home Depot anymore. They're driving they trucks. They're, they're insured. They have, they have actual industries yeah, now. Listen, in, in the town that I live in, we have several different... Uh, our trade schools that do their entire instruction all in Spanish. So you can learn real careers, electrician, HVAC, plumbing, 
automotive photography, um, and also medical assisting and nursing. And the instructions are all, all, all in Spanish. That's the industry that they've created. So wow. they can come in, and, and they can get these, the same trade programs that they took out of your, your school. And this is, this is my history with you guys. But, but see, again, let, let me say this, James. Let me say this. Because, see, I just can't get down with the divisive language. Um, no, no, no. It's not divisive. Yeah, it, it, yes, you are. It yeah, yes, it is. Because, this, is this is how, this is no, how, no, what you're saying. Okay. When you say they, when you say they, you are labeling an entire group. And, and you don't speak for that entire group. Listen, 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 listen. Let me say this. Let me say this. This is Black Talk Radio Network. This is Black Talk Radio Network. And we do target a black audience and we talk about black issues. But New Abolitionist Radio and this abolitionist movement that I've been a part of for the past five years is international. I mean, we don't pay attention to your nationality. We don't pay attention to your religion. We don't pay attention to your skin color. And the solution to slavery is abolishing slavery. The solution to ending slavery isn't more jobs because they can't create enough jobs for all of us. They'll create jobs by enslaving. That'll be your job, enslaving another person, okay? So so we have abolitionist comrades who are in the Hispanic community, so I'm not buying into no they, okay? I mean, people say, well, the Asians doing this or doing that. I interviewed Angela Chen, a prominent uh, uh, immigrant, um, uh, rights lawyer and, and leader of a prominent uh, Asian American legal organization and she's an abolitionist. We're all united to tackle this problem as slavery. Okay? The answer to ending slavery is abolitionism. You can't reform slavery. You have to abolish it. You can't create your jobs out of slavery. You can't. No! When, when the slavery is what's generating jobs in so many related industries. So I understand because I've been running a black radio network for nine years, I've heard it all. And what you're talking about, James, does not fit into this abolitionist discussion that we're having. It ain't, it ain't, it, the, the, they that we talk about on this program is they the slavers or they the abolitionists. So you can b- become a part of this. I'm glad that you tuned in. I'm glad that you chimed in. But it is much bigger than a a, a black and white issue. It's, 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 it's slavery, man. And it shouldn't matter the color of the slaver and it shouldn't matter the cl- color of the victim of slavery. And these Hispanics in the geo group have filed a lawsuit calling it slavery, a class action lawsuit, and I stand in solidarity with them. That and, and, and I will shut up yeah. for the rest of the night and let yeah. Max turn, take over. Yeah. Can I can I interject something? Uh, what I'm sorry, what that gentleman is doing is confusing another question that we need to take up later as a cause for black people and minorities. He just told you about a program set up for Spanish people, but that's a different pipeline altogether. It has really nothing to do with abolition. 
that it should be the question on why are building trades and people with money creating a system to pipeline Spanish people in instead of getting uh, an open system where anybody can apply. There's no accident that is Spanish. And nine times out of 10, if he takes the time to check the public records, he'll find out that some organization took some, some grant money and some building trades people, probably the Chamber of Commerce is doing that, but they do it because they have a captured audience. Someone who's coming here from a third world country is not gonna be as demanding as a citizen. So you're confusing two subjects. This subject on this platform is abolition of slavery. The bail system refusing to fund the uh, public defenders. So you force people to have to plead just like the lady was saying, because they have families and a life to get back to. And then you have overzealous prosecution because rather than charge somebody for the quote crime that you think they committed, the prosecutor totals them up with four or five additional charges and then threatens you. If you go to trial, I'm going to ask for the maximum. So why don't you take five years instead of a possible 18? So there's coercion built in the system along with the bail system. As a matter of fact, the Human Rights Commission has already said the bail system in the United States is the worst in the world other than Nigeria. Okay. Imagine that. Well, here's what we want to do, guys. I don't know how much time we have left. We're already in overtime. So let me ask Scotty, how much time do we have left on the program tonight? As much time as we need. Uh, you are talking oh, to okay. the manager of the network. So. <laughs> all right. All right. This is- just figure out. Okay, great. That's Thanks for fantastic. asking, though, Max. So, yeah, I, I just wanted to know when to put. Yeah, let's go ahead order, and go sorry. into some of the segments, though, Max. Well, I, I want to give anybody that did not get a chance to speak tonight and wanted to speak the opportunity before we did anything else. Is, is that all right? So I, I know we have a lot of callers on the line right now listening in. Um, just unmute yourself with the star star if you have any comments that you'd like to offer about tonight's uh, conversation regarding the Millions for Prisoners Human Rights March on Washington, D.C. and the 16 to 20 sister rallies all across America. If you're a participant or you'd like to share your uh, experience, we'd love to hear it. And Max, can I say one thing? The caller caller that was talking before... Go ahead. I just want to say the caller that was calling before... If he can follow me on Facebook or Twitter and give me his information, I'll send him some information referring to the subject he was on. Perfect. That was a perfect... I'm uh, on the board as Otis L. Griffin. I'd be more than happy to bring him up to speed because we don't want to run anybody away that's interested. Right, exactly, exactly, yeah. Um, Fantastic. That's a good idea, Otis. This is a learning process for a lot of people. We're hitting a lot of uh, cognitive uh, dissonance uh, in many instances, and it's understood, there's some confusion going on. And this transfer of understanding, as I said earlier, from thinking you can reform this because it's a mistake to you have to abolish it because it's a crime, is not an easy thing to accomplish overnight. But we have made major strides in that, as Greg Jacoy explained when he said, I didn't even have to explain it to my daughter. And we all know that nowadays, this is the talk of town. Everybody's speaking of, about it where Black Lives Matter has proclaimed itself to be the platform for the unheard voices, 
abolition is the message that needs to be on such a platform because it's a solution to a problem, a solution to many problems. So, uh, again, if, if you have experiences or you just want to chime in, Scotty said, go ahead, we can do whatever we got to do. So uh, I'd like to hear the various voices from across the country. Maggie Stegg in South Carolina. Yes, sir. Welcome to New Abolition. <clears throat> Um, yeah, I just, if, if oh, you're, it's great. you're it's saying great. that, oh, sorry, sorry, yes, sorry. yes, me. Oh, no, please go ahead. Um, that's fine. Um, I just wanted to reiterate what, actually, I was going to say the same thing that Otis was going to say, but maybe in, a, in just this, or what Otis said, but maybe in a slightly different way. I don't want anybody to think that because there is such a single-minded focusness to new abolitionist radio, that that means that that any of us is saying another issue is not important. You can't have another issue that you're focused on. What we're saying is when we're on this issue, we're on this issue. There's not enough time allotted to this issue for us to allow anything that anyone thinks is a related issue to put foot inside this territory. This territory needs to be set aside specifically to talk about abolition. And that doesn't mean that other issues are not critical. It means I'm saying if 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 you were if you were doing a um a telephone for cancer, you wouldn't call in and talk about diabetes. Okay? Um that's that's kind of the thing that I'm saying. So not a matter of anybody's issue being less critical whatever it's to me it's like this is this is the critical space and this is the space that we ourselves you yourselves in particular uh uh scotty and and uh, and max and uh and the other people behind new abolitionist radio this is that space for which that is the issue and um, I'm just, I just, I can't tell you how proud I am to uh, uh, to have known y'all for as long as I've known y'all, so that uh, uh, you know I've been able to do the learning and to see the progress along the way. Indeed, absolutely, absolutely. Yes, it's amazing. Uh, it's all connected. <clears throat> we find, you know, slavery is connected to everything. One of the last things I talked about during my speech there in D.C. was about the uh, Declaration of Human Rights from the United Nations, which is globally recognized. And on that declaration, you have slavery listed as number four. Like, how the hell do you have slavery listed as number four? Like, whose priorities are you going by? And <clears throat> it's because of things like that that we have this format where we're uh, putting it all together under this umbrella because that's where it belongs, the umbrella of abolishing slavery. It's a... It's, uh, it's been a hell of a long battle, <laughs> you know what I mean? And now we're seeing the fruits of it. And this march isn't over. The post effects of the march is going to continue on for months. You'll be seeing videos of and the speeches and the transcripts and all of these things coming out over and over again from all angles, you know what I mean, afterwards, which is going to push this thing further into the consciousness and get us to the point where we may have those congressional hearings that we have demanded on this subject. You'd be surprised how everything is so tied into this. Nowadays, you can't wear a damn pair of jeans. You can't buy food. You can't eat at a fast food restaurant. You can't 
uh, pick up your telephone and call for assistance. You can't do just about anything without it being directly connected to prison slavery uh, through the companies that exploit prison labor or economic development programs using prisons as the only reason that certain communities or cities or towns or counties exist. That's real talk. Yeah, it's, it's real talk. We're in a war right now, like literally a war for the hearts and minds and souls. And the only thing that can win this war is the truth. Absolutely. All right, I ran a little bit. Go ahead, Marissa Say. Marissa Garcia is on the line. I think she's been trying to get through. All right, uh, Scotty, can we um, mute her if she's, uh, what, what would be her first three digits? Uh... She's probably going to be like a 323 or 818, something like that. You know, something Southern California. All right. I Hi, don't... it's Marissa. Hey, there you hey, are. Marissa. Welcome to New Abolitionist Radio, Marissa. Thank you. I'm so glad to be on. Um, I, I would like to just take a few minutes to just share um, feedback from the sister rally that we had in Riverside, California, if that's okay. Please, we've been looking forward to <laughs> awesome. Okay, so basically, um, I feel overall, I think everybody that attended that day, the organizers, to everyone that just came that heard about it, walked away feeling very empowered and, and very changed. A lot of the, the comments and feedback that we've heard from people is that there was an extremely amount of high energy that day. Um, and I feel like it speaks volumes to all of the hard work that's gone on with everybody for the past year and, and just the dedication here in California. Um, so for, for us, we, we had a rally and we had a march beforehand. And it was very small. You know, there was probably, you know, 15 people, but we said, whatever, we're going to do it anyways. And we marched five blocks all the way to the rally location. And we had a really diverse group of speakers that, that came on Saturday as well as attendees. And I feel like from what I heard earlier um, on the radio that, that, you know, while our focus is always going to be on the 13th and slavery, that, that it also, you know, it ties into so many issues um, that it's really important that, that we, we share the, those spaces with everybody. And so for, for us, the rally was a huge success in the sense that we had some very powerful speakers, but also some really powerful people that are putting in a lot of work. We had a mother who um, her son was a victim of police brutality, and she came to speak on that and how it connected to the bigger picture. You know, we had, you know, family members come. We had Amber how Amber Rose from Curb in California, and they do amazing work in terms of, you know, trying to stop jails and things like that. And, and so for us, you know, in terms of, like, our takeaways, we definitely felt disappointed in our turnout. Um, as well as, you know, just just the fact that we had, you know, uh, networked with media two months out, and we had sent out several press releases. We had called the media, like, a month out, two weeks out, and then even the morning of, and they're like, yes, yes, you're on schedule, we'll be there. And so not having any media present um, was, was disappointing for us, as well as the turnout. Um, we did experience 
um, you know, some no-shows. We had a couple organizations that had committed to speaking, um, attending the event, helping, you know, with the organizing, and one of them in particular, our organizer had called a week prior just to confirm, you know, that everything was, you know, good, they were coming, they said yes, and, you know, they just didn't show up. I also, there was a third organization that um, said that they would help and do all these amazing things, and then they pitched in this idea that they wanted to make shirts for everybody and that they would pay for it, but that they wanted their name of their organization on the shirt, and when I said no, that's, uh, I figured that that might have been one of the reasons why none of the reps from that group also came. So that was definitely kind of weird for us. Um, another takeaway that we did have in terms of just California in general, um, we've been in contact with the Sister March uh, in San Jose, and they felt the same way. They felt like the turnout was 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 lower than expected. Um, they also had, you know, people that didn't come through. However, they felt that they, that they had really laid the, the foundation down. And so for us in California, I feel like I can speak on behalf of everybody that participated. We feel really, really motivated and inspired to move forward as a coalition for California. So that's that's probably the biggest takeaway for us in terms of like how beautiful it was because as soon as the rallies were over, the marches were over, you know, all of a sudden it was just transitioned into, all right, what's next? What's the next steps? And in Riverside we had a focus group after the rally and everybody that came, it was just automatic. We were turning to each other, we were talking about ideas, how we can support, you know, what, what we could do next. We had people that just showed up to say, hey, we couldn't make it, but we want to do this and this and that. And so when we talked to San Jose, it was just kind of like we were on the same page. We both wanted to do the same thing. So I, I definitely feel that, that overall, for both of us, it was, it was a huge win, and the energy is still going. And it's, we've already had a conference call with, with Southern California and Northern California on how we can connect together. So... Um, even though we didn't get all the media coverage we wanted and we didn't get 500 people, we feel that we were successful in building that solid foundation in becoming a coalition to, to abolish slavery. So it was, it was, it was a life-changing experience, and we are ready to move forward. <laughs> well, I'd like to add something to what you were just discussing, and thank you. Uh, God bless you for pulling these things together uh, in California. I'm so proud of everyone. But I would like to point out something that you can do now. And I had a conversation with some people recently about this who asked me, what's next? What's next? Well, right now in the state of California, you have an exception to slavery. And California wasn't a slave state. But it says directly in your Constitution, California Constitution, Article 1, Declaration of Rights, Section 6, slavery is prohibited, involuntary servitude is prohibited, except to punish crime right there in the constitution so it would be a good idea to show the federal government how it's done and to get some of these states organized and getting those exception clause taken out of your state constitution so uh, Rhode Island isn't the only state that doesn't have one and then we can start legal uh, processes like Scotty explained earlier where uh, many people are being exploited through prison slave labor now we can start real legal processes to uh, 
And shout Abolish out And Max, shout out to Colorado who almost almost through a battle initiative got that slavery exception clause out of their um state constitution and you didn't win this time. You almost did, but hey, just keep fighting, keep fighting. Yeah, all it takes is a ballot initiative, and they did Initiative T in Colorado. And because of prop- propaganda coming from the prison industry itself, saying that the goal was to release all of these prisoners from these high maximum security prisons, people were very worried, and they voted against it. And that was because of uh, counter-propaganda. So we can push forward now that we have more of a solid foundation to stand on and more of a network to work with to doing that and lead the way for the federal government. So that's one step forward that you can do with just a few people. Okay. May I ask if it would be possible in the near future to perhaps have a call or some kind of video Skype or or meeting where we could get some advice from the organizers in Colorado on how they, they got that process going and just what they've learned? Because that would be really helpful. Yes, I think that you have a brilliant idea going there, and I will commit to trying to make that happen because it's not only Colorado, but also Maryland tried the same thing, and so did Indiana try the same thing. And we have these people who have this experience in, in making this attempt that did not occur, but now we can bring them together and find out what we can do differently to make it happen now. With, well, Max, said, more, more the, conversa- the conversation that we had on our uh, Carolina contingent on the trip back from D.C. and Greg's on the line and, and we discussed super PACs. Now, again, I hate the system. I hate that money in there, but we have to look at who has experience and integrity to run a super PAC, an abolitionist super PAC so that what happened in Colorado, then we would have had a fund to where we could counter their propaganda with some ads. Now, we would have to go a long way to build a a treasure chest like the private prison industry has, but I think that, you know, that's something worth considering. Yes, I, I, it is certainly worth considering. But I think that these initiatives could use that uh, type of uh, monetary push, but it's not absolutely necessarily we, it's necessary for it to occur. We can start moving forward with this. And I'll, I'll do what I can to bring such a conference call of people together as, so we can talk about this. Because it's not limited to those who actually try. There are others who have professed that they want to do it, like Senator Lena Taylor out of Wisconsin, who has complained uh, publicly about the exception clause in the state of Wisconsin's constitution. The states can lead the way on this. This all can be local grassroots efforts and if we could just win one of these then the chain reaction will follow suit Max can you hear me yes uh, who's speaking this is Layla all I want to say is every time I'm on the phone with you and Scotty or just listening to you guys I have to take notes I had read our constitution in California and I thought it only legalized indentured servitude because you see how the words are tricky and how yes. they worded it. So that's something. And I want to just say, Marissa, you guys did a phenomenal job. I didn't know any of that stuff, but I need to know names of the people who did that in the organization, because privately, because we need to call them on the carpet. We need to really call them out for that. And Thank you. you. Yes, yes. With. Thank you. Well, we, we all did. So um, it's 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 nothing but but good feelings. <laughs> 
Yes. I, I avoided saying anything like that personally because, you know, uh, I started off pissed off about certain things, <clears throat> but I just wanted to keep <laughs> on the positive up until now. I will mention one of the things that pissed me off, and that was though, during the march, we were talking, it was these signs, these orange signs that said abolish mass incarceration. And people were chanting abolish mass incarceration and end mass incarceration. And I'm like, didn't you read the bill? We're here to abolish slavery, not abolish mass incarceration. And if you just think about those, that sentence, abolish mass incarceration, you will realize it don't make no damn sense because mass incarceration is not a source, it's not a cause, it's not a thing, it's the results of something. And you can't abolish the results of something. You have to abolish the actual crime itself. So it was really confusing, and it pissed me off. And I ended up out chanting. I got some of my abolitionist comrades who are on the phone now, and we literally out screamed the brother who had the bullhorn in <laughs> slavery. Every time he said "end mass incarceration," we said "end slavery." Every time they said uh, "abolish mass incarceration," or we'd say "abolish slavery," we we just kept doing it. I think Anne Marie made a, a comment on that, as a matter of fact. <laughs> you I know? Heard you. But that was the thing that bothered me. So I just did it what I could great. to shout out loud. Yeah. And and there was a couple of brothers that came on and sisters who came on and said about, you know, talked about mass incarceration. This one brother, I think it was Doug Banks out of Texas, came in and he said how we need to reform this system. And I'm like thinking to myself, brother, you haven't really read the script of what we're talking about here. You come in and talk about reform. And in my speech, I even said, if you're talking about reform, you're confused right now. I mean, because you can't reform a crime against humanity. Either it right. is or it is not slavery. Make up your mind and let's work this out. Right. And I'm right. here to, to attest to the fact that all what Max said earlier about preparing a speech and all that went out the window because we were looking at each other because I know Max, I've been working with him for five years and I know certain trigger words that'll get him saying, huh? Reform what? You mean abolish? <laughs> and he, he said to me before he went on state, man, I'm just thinking about just going off the top of the dome, you know, because a lot of, got to clean up a lot of this, you know, misinformation and not saying that it was intentional, but again, you know, we're going to come across activists that that are working on a system uh, on a symptom, and and treating symptoms is important. But at the same time, you know, we got to bring them along to tell them about that disease. So, but Max, I, Max, that was still a great speech. I hope uh, other people caught it. Uh, Layla Aziz says she's going to do the transcript. I look forward to seeing it because I'm not completely sure everything I said myself. All I know is that, you know, I prayed beforehand and I let the Spirit speak through me. And I believe we that had, we, I even claimed it, that the spirits, is, the ancestors are speaking, blessing my words right now. And I felt like it. We just had someone unmute themselves, I think, from 401. Did you want to jump in and Max anytime that you and yourself want to go into those planned segments or if you want to continue to freestyle it uh, it's just again the energy that I felt in DC I feel on this line as well so I can identify with the people who were talking about the energy they felt uh, at the rallies and like Hannah was saying earlier look you know there used to be a program on this network um, by these uh two former Panthers, uh, and one was a former political prisoner, um, 
um, Kamboa uh, Irvin and his sis, his wife, uh, Sister Jonina Irvin, Lorenzo Kamboa Irvin, and they had like their little organization based in Tennessee. But just you know, they were with us for a couple of years. But I just listened to them because I engineered a program, and one of the things I picked up from them going to what Hannah was saying is. Most re- successful revolutions, only 5% of the population participated. The, the vast majority of the people were apathetic. You know, they were just trying to survive in the system. So I just wanted to mention that, that she is right based on what I've heard from not just those elders, but studying revolutionary uh, movements. And when I say revolutionary, I'm talking about revolutionary change. And, of course, I'm an acolyte of Malcolm X, and by any means necessary is my mantra, but I work with anyone, you know, to end in slavery. So that person that called in, uh, please, go. thank you for joining us. Go ahead with your question or comment. Oh, no, it was just me again, um, Scotty. I actually just joined in um, to kind of say something off of what Max was talking about, um, the chant. I've been to several different rallies and it's in marches. It's so important that when we're at something, that the person with the megaphone knows the... Jess, can you speak up a little bit? Because you're coming in low to our radio audience. So if you could speak more directly into the phone or speak louder. Go ahead, please. Sorry to interrupt you. Uh, Sorry, let me fix this. All right, is that better? Yes, ma'am. Yes, I don't know if that's better. Okay. No, I was just uh, saying kind of when um, when Max was talking about how, you know, the chant was going this way and then um, we, we didn't agree with that, so then the chant started going this way and we started saying, you know, end slavery. Um, it's so important when we have somebody with that microphone as a poet and as an artist, that microphone is an amplification of energy. And so when we have people who are not being clear in the message. And I think um, someone said it earlier um, about being very clear and direct with the message. I think that's something that going forward, we need to really be mindful of who has the microphone, who has the megaphone, what is the message they're gonna send? Because chanting end slavery down those streets amplified by 1,500 people um, instead of, you know, a a, a few rabble rousers in the middle being loud, is, is really important. Um, so that's all I wanted to say, and it's just really important when we do marches and we do things like that, that the people with the megaphones and the microphones same message um, and just call it what it is and not be afraid to offend anyone. And can we be all right with cursing? I don't know, slavery kind of sucks, so I'm sure that a few cuss words isn't going to bother anyone, um, and that's all I wanted to say. And I really appreciate everybody that I met and everything um, about that weekend. So I'm going to go back to being mute. <laughs> All right. Thank you, Jess. I appreciate the comments. Um, final call for any last comments, and then we're going to go into our new segment. Peace. All right. Yes. I heard someone say something. something. Peace. Peace. Uh, Peace. Is that, is that tag? Yes, yeah, peace, brother Max. <laughs> peace, man. I finally got to meet you, man. Awesome. What's happening, Tag? Welcome back to New Abolitionist Radio. No doubt, no doubt. Appreciated. Uh, a uh, resistant 
Black August to the BTR network and to the abolitionists, I just wanted to connect off of something that I heard said as far as uh, targeted social media uh, propaganda attacks um, that I heard from Brother Otis. Um, I just wanted to connect that with the ongoing uh, monthly um, Twitter storms being called on by uh, Brother Julio Muntakim uh, and his supporters, uh, which has been occurring uh, on Wednesdays on a monthly basis for a minute now. Uh, Julio Muntakim being one of the uh, earliest, uh, to my knowledge, uh, political prisoners um, and just people in general out here to uh, really call for a targeted focus on the 13th Amendment exception clause. And um, I, on that, also just to uh, point toward the writing that he did recently as regards um, a proposal around the UN International Jurist. Uh, which is available on um, his website, uh, freejalil.com. Hey, I would like to say, Tag, that it was certainly a pleasure to meet you in the flesh and blood. Um, I met Tag online when he reached out to me as a college student to through the Black Talk Media Project's internship program and he actually kind of like flattered me when I found out that he had did a paper I think it was on propaganda and in, in, in the use of propaganda in Black Talk Radio Network and that's been what about two years I think and then just networking with him to interview act activists um, on local you know political prisoners or anything going on in New York and just coordinating interviews and just, you know, feed me information that's going on in New York. And, uh, you know, uh, so tag, it was great meeting you young man in person. And, you know, uh, I didn't even know that you were going to make the trip, but it was, a, it was one of the best surprises since I've known you this long, uh, but never, and worked with you, but finally to get to meet you, it was a pleasure. Yo, a absolutely, likewise, and, and likewise, the same, you know, uh, Brother Max and got a chance to connect with um, Sister Tribal Rain and just so many, you know, active um, and just consistent abolitionists out here. You know, there's, there's uh, something just very encouraging about uh, seeing those kinds of numbers as regards, you know, the focus question of, you know, are people being enslaved out here or aren't they, you know, and the fact is that they are. And, you know, any time that we demonstrate that heads are not tolerating that fact, you know, we're, we're, we're making ground. So uh, much appreciated to, to all the work y'all have put in uh, across the board. Thank you, brother. Thank you, indeed. One of the things uh, we did was some research on the constitutions of all the states. We checked every single state's constitution and language for slavery. And our new abolitionist radio 
uh, Facebook page, I just put up about a dozen different states where we can start initiatives to get those exceptions out. They only use three words in all of the states, and about 24 states have exceptions. The uh, three words they use is either accept, unless, or otherwise. And when you see those, that's the okie doke right there. And this is even in states that did not have slavery, which leads you to question why in the hell would they need to put in there in their state constitutions about how slavery except for prisoners duly convicted. I mean, where did that come from? And that also leads you to see how this whole conspiracy has been going on to allow this continue, this modern-day slavery and human trafficking. Max, They've been before, exploiting this prison labor since day one. Before you go into the regular segments, um, as we get ready to wrap it up, I do also yes. want to uh, say on air thank you to Tommy Jordan uh, down in Georgia, who is the one of the hosts and producers of Melanated Roots radio program. Comes on every Monday night at 8 o'clock p.m. Eastern Time on Black Talk Radio Network. And he just recently learned how to engineer a digital radio uh, broadcast so that he could join the Black Talk Radio Network. And he volunteered to sit there for six hours um, and broadcast and work with me to get that out over the Black Talk Radio uh, Network. And, you know, it could have been a, a much better broadcast, but I heard positive things from people. They weren't able to catch fully all of the speakers, but uh, what they did here, you know, they were encouraged by. And again, it was hundreds of, of people. I would estimate about 600 people in about 38 different countries tuned in to portions of the D.C. rally. So thank you, Tommy uh, Jordan. Um, it could not have, uh, we couldn't have done that without you stepping up. Thank you. Yes, indeed. Yes, indeed. All right, Scotty. Well, what I'm going to do for the remaining time is uh, we've already shared the stories for our rider of the 21st Century Underground Railroad and also for our abolitionist in profile and our segment for Freedom's Sake of History Rebellion. I'll just read you who they are. You can find the articles on our Facebook page on New Abolitionist Radio and also in our planning stage page on the Black Talk Radio Network community. A rider of the 21st Century Underground Railroad this week will be 61-year-old Ladora Watkins. Watkins was released on June 15, 2017 after serving 42 years for a robbery and a murder that he did not commit. He's the longest serving inmate to be exonerated in Michigan, and we want to say welcome to freedom, Brother Ladora Watkins. Welcome to freedom. Welcome to freedom. Uh, our abolitionist in profile and also our segment. Yes, yes, indeed. Anybody else want to say it? Feel free. This is beautiful. Uh, the spirit goes to him when you do. Uh, our abolitionist in profile and the segment for freedom's sake, a history rebellion, will be combined into one segment. We'll be remembering Nat Turner's rebellion, which was divinely inspired by the solar eclipse occurring on August 21st, 1831. So we're just two days past that anniversary, which happened on the eclipse. And as we said earlier, it just seems like a magical thing. Salute to Nat Turner and his rebellion. If you want to know uh, more about that, go ahead and read it on New Abolitionist Radio. Now, we're in the middle of a constitutional crisis in this time, and I had a conversation with the police at the march of two senior officers, and I approached them with the Fourth Amendment, the Sixth Amendment, the Eighth Amendment. I wanted to know if they knew what they were. I started with the Thirteenth Amendment and said, have you ever read that? And 
since we were there about the 13th Amendment, it seemed obvious that they now knew what that was about. But they didn't know what the 4th, 6th, and 8th Amendment were. Now, I think that is outrageous to have a senior officer or any officer who has sworn an oath to defend the Constitution not know what the people's rights are. The Fourth Amendment is violated all day, every day. The Sixth Amendment is violated all day, every day. The Eighth Amendment is violated all day, every day in a criminal action that is whole scale. So we feel it's important that you understand the rights guaranteed you in the Constitution thereof and how they tie into slavery, how they're being manipulated by slavery, how some of them were incorporated by slavery. For instance, to the best of my knowledge, I know that I've heard that the Second Amendment was put into place to be able to have militias against slave uprisings. Many people may not be aware of that. In any case, Yusef Hassan has volunteered his time to be able to educate us on these amendments for the coming weeks. And I myself will be taking some time off in the coming weeks because I have to do quite a bit of traveling and face-to-face action with what's going on with this abolitionist movement. We'll be going to Ghana in September. We have the chronic human this South Carolina human rights conference. And we'll end in one minute. Uh-oh. Coming up. <laughs> uh, we have the human rights conference coming up in North Carolina, which Scotty Reed and I both will participate in, as well as a couple other things. We'll be moving into a house which was previously owned by John Brown's brother and occupied hey, by black Hey, Max, Max, just hold, hold up right there, Max. I'm, it's going to end, so I'm just going to call back in, okay? Okay, Scotty. We're going to take a pause for the cause while Scotty calls back in to restart the conference call. Uh, that way we'll have the recording record of uh, record. You are the first participant on the call. Please hold while we wait for the others to join. Yep, yep, yep. We got cut off. Okay. We got a lot of feedback from somewhere. <laughs> That's some of the spookiest stuff ever. <laughs> Hey, hey, can y'all can, re- can y'all hear me? A lot of reverb on that. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of funky though. It was kind of funky. Well, I don't know if you guys can hear me. Whatever you're ready for, just let me. Oh, uh, can you guys hear me now? Yes, sir. We can hear you. Okay. Yeah. yeah, the board got dumped. That's first time that ever happened. But we're still on air. And I don't see anybody on the board, but obviously people are still on the call, so go right ahead. <laughs> Let's go. All right. So Let's go. As I was saying, that it's important that you understand your constitutional rights, and we also want to know how they're connected to both past slavery and modern-day slavery. So Yusef Hassan has uh, offered to uh, volunteer his time in order to go over these amendments with us once a week. And I myself will be taking several weeks off in the coming days because, as I said, we have uh, a lot of things going on, including going to Ghana and helping start an abolitionist movement there, several human rights conferences, where Scotty and I will be attending Chronic, uh, the South Carolina Human Rights Con- Conference of 2017, uh, and uh, a couple of other events. And as you know, my daughter just gave birth today. <laughs> my son is about to move to uh, Philadelphia to uh, take care of his mother, the one that just got out of prison. And um, we're moving into a house in Ohio, it would seem, in the coming days, which was owned by John Brown's brother, 
and used as an abolitionist headquarters for black abolitionists. So it's being renovated as we speak right now, and Max and Tribal will probably be moving into that house and operating from there, which is amazing, just mind-blowing. Anyway, let's get on to our final segment. Uh, it will be with Youssef Hassan, and it's about the Constitution. So, Brother Youssef? <laughs> oh, you know what? I had already packed up for the night, this. Did you really? I didn't know we I didn't know we were gonna actually do it tonight because we touched on, you know, a lot of stuff with it. So uh I mean We can put it off I till can, next week. Yeah, we'll, we'll we'll begin it with next week because I was just so glad so many people called in tonight and once I saw that, you know, we we had even hit the ten o'clock mark, I said, you know what, I'll deal with all of this stuff next week. Okay, okay, great. Uh, well, I'd like to also let you guys know that next week, Eddie uh, Conway will be coming in as a guest. So you'll have a guest next week, Eddie Conway, former political prisoner, spent decades in prison as well, and now he's a host on the Real News Network and was a big supporter of the Millions for Prisoners Human Rights March on Washington, D.C. Um, I guess with that, then, Scotty Reed, we're at the 10 o'clock mark. Uh, any final comments? Yes, I, I just want to thank everyone who participated in the uh, events that took place across the nation um, and just the spirit and the energy that I felt on this call and that it's a real thing. You know, five years I started out when I reached the max, I was like be, just newly becoming aware of the 13th Amendment. So I'm late. I'm really, really late. Some people go like Lee Wood, go back to 1971, recognizing that slavery was never abolished. But they have been very good at hiding um, that bit of information from us in plain sight, right there in that Constitution. But when I became aware, I didn't know any other abolitionists. I came across Mr. Wood. I knew about him and then his groups called CAPS. Um, then I, I found uh, Max. And I said, Max, I want to produce this program called New Abolitionist Radio to spread the news that slavery was never abolished and that the 13th Amendment legalized it. And what we're calling mass incarceration is just a symptom of, of slavery. And Max was fully on board. We've had several hosts over the years. And I mean, it just, remember, we started off, nobody listening. And then built up an audience over the years. And Max has talked about the trip to Ghana. People in Ghana hearing New Abolitionist Radio and, and wanted us to come out to because this is an international movement. Okay? It's not just confined to the United States. And that's why I, I don't play the nationality game because it's a global system of slavery. And so, you know, just it all culminating in a physical, e historic event after five years for me. I mean, it's like, hey, this is no longer just a, a, a piece of information on in my mind. I have now united with other people with that same um, information but that information is no good unless you act on it. And we all took our various actions towards uh, informing and educating people about slavery. And now to the point that we have people who are formulating plans and strategies and actually 
attacking slavery. So again, thank you all for the wonderful uh, abolitionist experience this weekend. And until the war is won, till the war is won, you know, um, um, let's just keep fighting. Thank you. Yes. Yes, Scotty, I, I echo your sentiments. Anybody else want to make any final comments for the evening? If you keep it brief, we'll allow it just for this time. I'd like to tell you, gentlemen, I'm so proud as if I were in your family. The last four years that I've been listening to you two gentlemen, the, the tenacity and the dedication, and I told you, I think, before, I was in the fifth grade the first time I ever wrote about this, and then later on in some chats I'll tell you some more but this is one of the most confirming and uh, validating things I've ever done and I wasn't a fan of social media I was a, a single father and had to learn it because I had a child that was messing with it but I'm so happy I found you guys I don't know what to do peace and power to the people thank you Otis. thank Layla. you Layla Layla and um I just want to say I forgot to thank Otis. That's where I wanted to really get on because his information always on um, Facebook is extremely helpful. And so Mr. Otis, Mr. Max, and Mr. Scotty, um, as we take this to the next level, um, you guys being in the forefront and guiding us is not just required or asked for, it's demanded. That's all I have to say. I understand you, sister. I love you too. Thank you. We Much you. love, lady. Much love. Anyone else? All right. Yeah. Um, well, yes. yeah. I just, I'll just be real brief. You know, uh, <clears throat> Max. You know, I thank you all the time. You know, when I think about uh, the trip you and Travel made from South Carolina coming up to Patterson when I was in Patterson, New Jersey at that time, in the middle of a snowstorm. You know, for you guys to perform and then for you to open my eyes to the. Uh, 13th Amendment, and, you know, it's just been a wild ride ever since, and I think you, you, I, and Tribal have uh, been to maybe nine different cities together now, you know, and, you know, it's, it's definitely heartwarming to see, you know, what we, what, what we all were able to accomplish this weekend, whether we were in Washington, D.C., or any of the other cities. You know, and you know, I've been getting feedback from people that are incarcerated, and other people have, and you know, they're just ecstatic about this. You know, that people are actually standing up for them because you know they they're the lost part of society, and so you know, I'm just glad to be part of this. You know, I learn so much from everybody, either through their polls or what's you know spread across the airways, and I'm just glad to be part of it. You know, and as our brother Johanne would say, peace to the abolitionists and death to the oppressors. Amen. All right. If we, unless we have any more, I'll go ahead and say what I got to say for you. He's very, yes, very, uh, very briefly. I just wanted to. I'm not sure. Um, I think that uh, his name was uh, Brother Travis, uh, but um, this brother who called in from New York um, who discussed, you know, his experiences behind the wall. Um, yes. I didn't I didn't quite hear the name of the organization or uh, group. It sounded like prison record movement or prison uh, uh, 
you know, uh, an R word movement, but I would definitely like to hear more about that particular organization. And um, if you found uh, that there was time for it and we're looking to build around these same issues in the New York City area, um, definitely feel free to contact uh, IWOC NYC um, uh, heads are building around this abolitionist uh, necessity. And um, the email address is iwoc.nyc at riseup.net to contact uh, the local chapter out here. Yes, sir. Shout out to IWOC because from the very beginning they have been supporters of this abolitionist movement. They were the first organization out in Missouri, as a matter of fact, to declare themselves an abolitionist movement uh, organization, abolitionist focused organization. So I'm very proud of you guys. Thank you for everything that you have done, indeed. Uh, Final call? Yes, sir. Is that IWOC W A L K? Tag. I W O C. Uh, for Incarcerated Workers Organizing Committee. Thank you. Thank you. No question. Well, I guess I'll close it like this. Uh, It has been an epic experience. This was the real-life equivalent of the last episode of Game of Thrones. It was that damn epic. And it has not ended yet. It was incredibly important, and the ripple effects have only just begun to manifest. Look towards the future. Um... I have a poem, short poem. I'll read it real quick. And it was, I decided to read it because of some of the things that I was hearing that the other organizers had to deal with. And you'll see it in the future again. I'm not surprised. Nothing we can do about it now. That's just the way things are. I'm a realist. I can't get involved. No negatives allowed in my life. They don't need my help. I wouldn't know where to start. It's not my fight. I don't want to go down that road. No one is going to change that. I'll make a donation when I can. Let somebody else handle it. I got too much going on already. You don't, You can't beat the system. I'll do what I can from here. I'll pray for them. You're too intense. What do you expect me to do? It's more than I can handle right now. Nobody wants to hear about that every day. It's not that bad. The sounds of silence. Thank you to everyone who made the 19th, a 19th, something epic. And I look forward to the changes that will come and the freedom we will see in the future because of our efforts. And I will never forget that abolition is a reason for a revolution so we can finally know some peace. Peace. Just lift your eyes up. Let your wise rise up. See the signs of the times. If it's time, rise up, rise up. When death and hell dwell among all God's people. When those we chose and trusted have become completely corrupted and inherently evil. When the feast that feeds you starves our father's children. When snuff porn and pedo forms begin to get top billing. Rise up. When famine claims millions. When justice gives blind eyes to billions. When the Lord's anger is no longer feared. If his protection is gone and your enemies are near If you've seen the seas spill over And the mountains shake, break, and fall If the moon ever turns blood red And you can't see the sun at all Rise up, no matter if the prize is high in the sky